This is like an old Rush Limbaugh trick that it makes people feel like they're coming into a conversation. Oh, hey, look, it's you. Hey, Internet. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That makes you, really, truly, you immortal now because you're paid for it. He's not going to be long in his return anyway, and if you watch long enough, you know I just did that backwards. But that doesn't make a difference because you found the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Stick around. Hey, Internet. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. You are paid for... That makes you immortal now, and he's not going to be long anyway. The water seals it, the food feeds it. This is Christianity. You should really think about joining us, and if you already have, then you know that today is a new day. His mercies are new each new day. Today has enough trial for itself, and that is, in fact, the new regenerate life you get to live waiting for his return, understanding that by faith alone you've already come this age, and running toward the tomb rather than away from the tomb you know you're running toward the empty tomb of Jesus, which is the resurrection. Whether that's at his return, or it could be any moment now, God willing. Wouldn't that be great? And if not, then certainly, after you die, you're going to rise when that day does come, because that day is most definitely coming. Oh my goodness. So we have a great deal of questions coming your way this morning. Your questions, Bible's answers, my nonsense. My wife Meredith joined us again this morning and with the microphone ready to answer a question for her as well and chime in on a couple other things like like yoga and whatnot. Normally I have a big spiel ready to go here in some way. It just falls out of me. But it's now now I'm looking at you. So now I think we're going to have a conversation instead and I don't even know what it's about. And this is what happens. This is why I do podcasts and whatnot is that for some reason when the mic is on, I want to ask questions. So I want to know, I want to know, today, this morning, Meredith, what is the most significant biblical truth that has already shown up in your life? It's probably something that happens every day, right? Oh, that's I know, a I know, good I know. way to get the heart pumping. Um, hmm. Let's see. The biggest biblical truth. Like what truth. Bible verse that you see often have you already seen today again and it really hits you again today? I know you have a plan of things that you do regularly, yeah. right? <laughs> um, hmm. Well, I am thinking back to all the different things I did this morning. Oh goodness! Well, <laughs> trying to don't I'm, don't worry too much about getting it right. Oh yeah, no, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, well, I I know that my daughter, our oldest daughter. Um, and I had some conversation on the way to dropping her off for work this right, morning. Right. And um, I'm trying to, to remember the different things that we talked about. I know she was struggling because she was tired mm. this morning waking mm-hmm. up. She said, I just didn't sleep well. And I said, well, what did you do last night? Did you watch a movie? Because we were out of the house. Did you take that opportunity? She said, you know what, Mother? I could have taken that opportunity but I decided not to all I wanted to do was read and I knew that I wouldn't feel good if I if I had watched a movie on the sly and in secret so I didn't (laughs) and um so so we continued to talk about it and learned that she probably shouldn't be reading on her iPad (laughs) that that does make sleeping less efficient yeah so after dark after supper I said you know what let's just move to paper she said I understand and we've done this before Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I love reading on my iPad I think it's the convenience of the size you don't have to flip the pages it's 
Like, uh, I just read something you know. this morning. It was kind, of, and I thought about the same kind of thing. I was like, "Well, this was easy." Yeah, you can adjust the um, <laughs> size of the font, and um, it's all at your fingertips. It, exactly. So, so I said, "We've tried this experiment before, and you've had really great results. You've had wonderful sleep if you just put the iPad down." So why don't we try that again? And um, she's a sweetheart. She's like, "Okay, yeah, yeah we'll you're right. Try. We'll yeah, try yeah, it." Yeah. And then in the car on the way to work, so this was all over breakfast. Mm. And on, in the car on the way to work, she said, you know, Mother, I really love working in the morning. I just feel like I have a good attitude. Instead of being um, negative, I'm just full of hope and, and excited. And um, I stopped and I thought about it for a little bit. And I was like, you know what, Chloe, God's going to use that for you. Mm. You are going to make a wonderful mother. And she goes, yeah, but I still don't like waking up. <laughs> I still don't like waking up, even though I wake up more or less with the sun. Yeah. It doesn't mean I like it. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just part of what you do, right? You get up because you get up and it's part of it. And she's at that phase in life where adulting, to use the term from a couple of years ago that was popular, uh, mm-hmm. really should be beginning. And part of that is just acknowledging, yeah, there are, there are things about the day whether you're a morning person or an evening person, there are things about the day that you just kind of don't want to deal with, but you're going to. Absolutely. You're going to deal with it, right? And so how do you teach a kid to do that? Well, that's an important thing. So you had, you had the, the biblical idea, and then you have just the parenting going on right there. And so um, I think it's interesting how you have locked onto, is my mic going in and out? It feels it, like it might be. It sounds like it's fuzzing. Um, you've locked onto, say, the drive to work with her, her drive to work as uh, a valuable time for parenting. Uh, can you say something about that? Yeah, well, we have we have some quiet conversation. She pops her music in, and it's an opportunity for me to learn about what she's listening to and learn about why she likes it. So mm-hmm. I like to ask questions. Like, oh, what do you like about this song? Why did you choose this song? Is it mm-hmm. just because you wanted to listen to it, or is it because um, it's actually speaking to something you're feeling today? Um, I like... I like good asking questions. Good questions. at this age. Yeah. Um, she's 16. Yeah. So we're in that the, she's beginning to become her own person and recognize it. And she's also wanting to become her own person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so uh, bucking a little bit at, at the identity of um, who she is as a part of the family and wanting to be independent, mm-hmm. but then being drawn back being drawn back to her roots as well as she's like, Oh yeah, I tried that independent thing over there. It's the same thing you see with them when they're infants only kind of exaggerated and more mature. Mm -hmm. Namely, you know, the, the young toddler will crawl away or or toddle away from the mother and maybe get almost around a corner and then look back and make sure mother's there and maybe go further, but then they've got to come back, you know, to the, to that spot. And the teenagers doing that just in a very, different way right yeah yeah so she and i like to well we have more of our deep conversations you could say uh things i I definitely check in with her emotions how you doing today Mm, mm. what are you thinking Mm. about you're so good at that Um, i have a lot to learn i'm trying i'm trying i'm learning that you can talk to your kids it's amazing you just ask them questions and like act like they're a friend like treat them like a friend right Yeah. yeah yeah and the i do find that i know i read a book a while back and it recommended not seeing your kids as friends. So that was something that 
our parents' generation kind of latched onto the whole "Hey, buddy" yeah, right. idea. Um, and now try your mic. No, again. I just turned it off for oh, a second. Okay. Was chewing the ass. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. I affirm your <laughs> statement. Continue. Um, and uh, so they latched onto this. You know, you're my buddy. You're my bestie. Mm. And it doesn't serve us well, according to this psychologist. Um, because we still need that authority figure. Correct. Growing up. Correct. So it, I, can I just clarify when I said mm-hmm. treat them like a friend, what I've learned is not to be their friend, not to expect friendship from them, but to treat them the way I would want the coolest friend ever to treat me. Well, exactly. And I, I wasn't trying to say you were wrong right, in that. Right. Definitely. Because, um, we goof off in the kitchen when we're cleaning up the dishes, we have dance parties, we have... Um, crazy joke sessions. And so I definitely treat them like I would my girlfriends at a slumber party Mm -hmm. or um, any other friendship scenario. You know, we go shopping, we talk about clothes, fashion. I mean, defining the word friend is really an interesting thing in itself if you think about it. But but continue with the main point. But definitely um, cultivating that relationship of trust. You know, a friend doesn't judge. At mm-hmm. least you don't want them to. Right, you right, want right. them to love you for who you are. And you want them to say, to assi- essentially be affirming. And so if you, mm, it's a hard tension mm-hmm. as a parent because you definitely want to affirm who they are and their interests. But you also want to be in their trust so that you can say, okay, now you've gone overboard. <laughs> you know? So... For example, um, this daughter really enjoys a Korean boy band. Mm -hmm. And that has been something that I think a lot of kids go through. Hello, Backstreet Boys. I mean, who... Raise your hand. I did not I, it, go for the yeah, Backstreet no, Boys. That was but not my, my forte, but I definitely... I definitely watched... I didn't watch because we didn't watch, but I listened to Third Day. Now they were kind of old. But I listened to Newsboys so and You're I so listened pious. to Jars of Clay yeah, yeah, yeah. and I went to I went to the Wow Festival and I saw all these people on stage and I ooed and I awed over them. So yeah, the fandom yeah. and yeah. the attempt to find identification somewhere other than family, which is interesting. Yeah, that really that is went, going yeah. now. Yeah. I wonder if it's the mic set up over there though. But we'll just keep going and we'll assume that it'll be fine someday. We'll take a so, break in a minute. No, well, I won't <laughs> fix it. I'll need to tear everything <laughs> apart and put a different wire over there. I think I use two short wires rather than one extremely long wire, and that probably mm. is creating a a joggly spot of some kind. So, but in any case, well, yeah. So she's, she's interested in this boy band. And if I immediately cut it off and say, Hey, you know what? Weird. Then I've lost her. Correct. That's right. That's right. You must accept the strange dancing with blow up <laughs> things. It, it yeah, is all normal strange. because somewhere in there is something that your child sees and really has attached the heart to. Exactly. And it's probably not evil, the thing they see and have attached to. Even though the heart's deceptive, you've got to be careful. But it, what they're aspiring to is probably something of value that they see, and you want to learn that. And yeah, that, that so builds asking trust. questions. Yeah, And yeah. saying, oh, wow, okay, so, you know, reserving my judgment and my jokes and my right. negative criticism right. and saying, all right, so what is it that you love about this? Tell me. What, how does that song speak to you? And she's brought me to tears. She's, mm-hmm. mother, I love the I love the lyrics. I love mm-hmm. what they say. Mm-hmm. I love how wholesome it is. 
And so it's hard for me to say, stop listening to this wholesome music. Yeah, right, right, right. How dare you? How dare you? Listen to this truth set to tunes. And then, bless her heart, she's like, you know what? They're not Christians, Mother, and it really concerns me. And I've come to appreciate them as people Hmm. and as artists, and so I pray for them every day. Hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's really yeah, really cool. And so the the insight that she has there that comes back to you, and all of this coming out of uh, you perceiving that the quick errand with the child is a primary singling out parenting opportunity yeah. in the modern world. Whereas you know in the previous age you might have just taken them out to a tree or sat down by the fire. You can maybe do that now, but you tend to have a lot more time driving around. With well, I people. think I think in other generations. Um, other eras, I would have had time working on samplers with her. Um, I would have had time scrubbing the laundry with her, hanging it on the line. Doing the chores. Doing the chores. That's Mm -hmm. right. That's right. That's when you talk about it on the way. You talk about when you rise. All that. All that. All right. So we got a bunch of questions from you this morning. We're definitely going to dig into here. So we're going to take that one minute break and come back. This is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill with Jonathan and Meredith. Look (laughs) at that. Stick around. We found the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill, your questions, Bible's answers, and our nonsense here in Rockford, Illinois. We got a question about proximity. One of my favorite things to talk about recently in understanding how I'm not a Gnostic. And if you don't know what I mean, then you might just be a Gnostic and not mean it. It's really easy to do in this age, but Meredith, would you like to read the question? Hey, Rev Fisk. I wanted to get your thoughts on holy ground and the way we should treat it as oh oh as christians sorry <laughs> you gotta love those icons that are on my screen and nobody else's uh-huh. yeah yeah <laughs> okay so holy ground and the way we should treat it as christians for instance in exodus 3 moses is told by the burning bush to remove his sandals and not come near for where moses stands is holy ground I'm curious what holy ground looks like today. We often revere churches as holy ground. Are there other places that should be revered? Such as the sites in Jerusalem. But perhaps I'm asking the wrong question. When I think further, I feel we should also exercise caution as to not treat the sites as idols, but rather to be fearful and reverent Christians. I do not want to be as... Nadab and Abihu hmm. in Leviticus 10 not be reverent when I should be. That's the strange fire text. Thanks. God bless. Zach. Yeah. Lots of good stuff in there. Uh, oh, golly. And so many directions we could go from, you know, how you treat the sanctuary at your congregation and how you teach people just to kind of be modern people in that space as a distinct or a different space from everything else, which is then thereby profane by comparison. Profanity, you know, today usually means like cuss words, but, you know, profane is just not holy, it's secular. And to profane the things that are holy, now that's really, really bad, right? But, but it's okay to have, or you have to have a world in which you walk away from the holy thing uh, into uh, the veil of tears that we're in. Now, what's the holy thing? I mean, in creation, in paradise, everything was holy by God's presence, that he just, his holiness spread through it all, and through man as well. And man's fall, man's lack of holiness in his dividing himself from God in the fall, brought the west of creation with him. 
but it, built into creation then is this idea that we are we are proximate things uh we are near some things and far from other things because we are not just ideas. We are not just spirits. You can't put yourself in a computer because you're a body. Your stomach has as much to do with your brain as your eyeballs and your nose do. Uh, everything is tied into one big beating, beating unit, right? And that person that you are, that proximate physical nefesh, you know, a soul that is incarnate, uh, that is the pinnacle head of creation as the image of God, okay? So this is how God built himself into creation as a, uh, a, a what, an avatar, a manifestation, a reflector. I mean, we could come up with a lot of words and a lot of them could be wrong in certain ways. Adam was not God, Right, uh, but Adam was there to be the face of God to everything else, and then God was to walk with Adam. And what did that mean? I I don't know what that meant, but I know that it meant actually walking <laughs> with a body, right? And so again, that ground wherein one would walk with God would be holy, if only by the idea that it's the ground you walk with God on, and the other ground you don't walk with God on. And so that ground is different. It's distinct. It is better is the wrong word. Better is a moralistic way of looking at it, I would say, um, because it's possible, in, again, in creation to have that place you walk with God and then you go off in the garden, do your work for the day. You know, th- you can understand holiness by as proximity by looking at it that way, but don't think that in paradise there would have been anywhere that was not fully holified, right, sanctified by God. But you definitely had this near-far proximity thing going on. Um, and now in the fall, that is how evil particularly works. And this is where this question is really important. Um, Yes, there's such a thing as holy ground, because when you feast upon the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, you stand near the burning bush. Uh, You stand in the presence of God. And we don't take off our shoes to show reverence and and awareness of our deservedness to just be burned by his fire. Uh, Instead, we do all manner of very American things, like put money in an offering plate, right, to show how how reverent we are. but the point is, you're still in very near physical, tangible proximity to the miraculous, holy, ever-living God, Yahweh, Lord of hosts, Jesus, right? And so as he comes to you by this sacramental gift, by the uh, the blood price in bread and wine for you, uh, that land is more holy than other land. Uh, Historically, all churches have therefore blessed those lands with prayer. You know, you open a sanctuary, a holy place, you pray over it that the Lord would inhabit it. You know, like Solomon prayed over the temple, and the Lord did. And you know, then you do it now, and you take the Lord's Supper, and you can know by faith. It's all the same thing. You just know by faith, and you don't get to see it like the really crazy, scary times of old. And, and if you want those to come back, you're wanting the wrong thing. Anyway, so, so yeah, there's definitely such a thing as holy ground. What I think is maybe more important to recognize from this idea is not that, oh, my church and the altar there is a holy place to which my family and I sojourn and 
for which you know my life depends and if it should fall to the powers of darkness well then the holy place would be desecrated and my own life would be diminished i mean that's one thing to take from this uh, but the other thing to take from this is that if there are holy places then there are in fact truly profane and evil places places that have been desecrated in some way by activities which remain present in some way often connected to things like the unseen right hauntings would be one way people talk about this in the modern era what's a haunting well, it's it's a blood soaked place somehow it is it is twisted by sorcery somehow in the powers of the enemy the evil one which are able to deceive us with signs and wonders uh, they can try right uh, those uh, go against their nature and become seen and heard things as opposed to the unseen things so in this way, there definitely are locations and proximities of evil. I would say that in the modern age, the demon's endgame has been to kind of pretend they're not here, but they're as much here as they ever have been. They're just under different names and guises, and the type of torment that people are enduring is based upon their assumption that it's normal and that they've been told and programmed to believe that it's normal, as opposed to uh, you know what, what, what real freedom could be like. Um, so... Discovering that there are, again, uh, proximities of evil. If you, if you have a coven of Wiccans, like some witches who live in your neighborhood, like there's seven of them, and every full moon, they worship the full moon on the corner by your house, there's a good chance that other bad stuff happens in your neighborhood. I mean, it's, it's not like it's rocket science here either, right? Um, it's just that where there is bad people, there is bad spirit. And that it's not as clean cut as the modern world likes to think, where it's just a bunch of ideas, Right. No, there are, there is there's actual physical proximate realities that take place. Let me give you one of the stories locally that kind of just puts this all in perspective for me. I couldn't believe it when I heard this. You know that uh, you know this this little town of Rockford, screw city of old, uh, you know Rust Belt, a place where industry was going to build America with with strong arms and good good hardware, right? Uh, and so you have a, a, a pretty strong factory environment with both black and white living like like they did often back then before they stirred us up to kind of get their game going. Um, you know, there, so there was there was plenty of uh, work to go around and plenty of good homes to go around in Rockford. Um, downtown would have been a place where people lived. There were stores. You would walk. There were homes. And there were, of course, then public schools and cinemas <laughs> competing for the lives and minds of all and maybe working together in worse ways than we realized. But even so, so the, the, the primary grade school that's down there, that was down there, uh, on the west side of Rockford, just outside of downtown, uh, that site eventually was torn down because there just there weren't. It was too old, and there weren't the right kind of kids to go to that school. So what they put there instead was a Planned Parenthood clinic, and they built a impoverished, a, a impoverished kind of state-funded housing right next to it, and then they began shipping people from South Chicago out that way through the welfare state. And uh, so what you had was a place that once was a school, perhaps holy, certainly not desecrated yet, now became a place of desecration, an abomination of all desolations, wherein the blood price of human lives was spilt out in a very, I might say, racist way of old, uh, as Planned Parenthood has always been wont to do. Go read the original documents. Um, so it, well, here's the thing. So through the amazing care of the pro-life community, the prayer, the efforts, the, the focus of those who in Rockford are Christians, both Catholic and Protestant alike, um, Eastern as well, through that work, that abortion clinic was eventually closed. 
it was eventually closed. It no longer had the support of the community, and it could not retain its way of staying open. I don't remember. I don't know. I have not heard the specifics. I just know it's not there. And what's there instead is the primary, the central police station for Rockford downtown area. The place where I once attended a meeting where BLM talking points were being spouted by people from that neighborhood where they had been told they had to go to have the government help them. Right? And who are they telling these talking points to? Amazingly, a Latino chief of police and an African-American uh, sub-lieutenant or whatever the second in charge was. And they had to sit there and endure charges of racism and police brutality and all this stuff and defund the police, right? Right there in that same place, that same land where the blood had been spilt. So what's going on there? Let me tell you, it's a place of power, okay? I don't believe in juju in the sense of like we Christians want anything to do with it. I just believe that the demons do it out there. And if you're not an idiot, you can see where. And any place there's been abortion clinics, you're going to know there's great evil there. Does that mean it cannot be sanctified? No. Everything can be sanctified by prayer. But that means it must be sanctified by prayer. You don't just waltz in and assume you own the place. Right? The word of God, the scriptures, are indeed the power by which holiness exists among us at all. Right? So if you are concerned about holy ground, the reason why your church is holy ground is because of the sanctity that comes by the presence of God in his son Jesus Christ for our salvation, which the sacrament, of course, is the highest feast of feast of all of these things, but then it enters you so that when you go out, you're that presence. And that presence, while good for you, just like that, in fact, impacts the world as soon as you open your mouth and start saying the same things Jesus said, right? And so in that way, wherever you stand is holy ground and your feet clothed with the readiness of the gospel of peace make wherever you tread a place of grace. It's, it, it is exactly what you're asking about, but it's sort of the other way around. Yes, it's true that when we enter the sanctuary, we enter into a place that is more holy than we are in order to be made holy, but we do so in faith that we are only already fully made holy by virtue of our permanent elective unity with Jesus and that this is a subject experiential reality of maturing and strengthening, strengthening, fellowship, communing, right, unifying that we are doing as sinners under grace for the edification of all the heavens and ourselves together. And so we go into that place, but we go into that place to get a holiness we take with us. And from there, again, fed by the way bread, kept together in the ship, we then go out, kind of like we've got life preservers tied onto us, but everywhere we go, we bring light into the midst of darkness. We make that space holy. So so what does this have to do with then, say, Jerusalem, the city, and the Holy Land, and say, taking a Holy Land tour? Um, I, would, I would suggest to you uh, a couple things, that the world of tours... Um, is nice if you can afford it and that not everyone can and that that world might get smaller um, in the next generation of those who, who can. So, you know, don't tie your faith to your ability to get to a place that is something other than the bread and wine rightly delivered according to Jesus' words to your lips, okay? Uh, after that, if you happen to have the ability to visit a faraway place to see the land 
on which these events took place. What it'll do is it'll inspire your imagination. You'll be struck by how how little you've really taken it seriously until you realized how real it was and not just like all the movies you watch, right? Because you actually see these landscapes and then you're able to maybe, you know, even if it's not really the tomb of Jesus, even if it's not really the nativity set, you know, stable, um, it, it, it's like unto, right? And so you're able to have this very edifying experienced by going to a land that is truly more holy and that God actually walked there as the man Jesus. But the man Jesus said things like, you know, you will not worship me on this mountain, but wherever there is spirit and truth, right? Wherever the scriptures of God brought by the Holy Spirit awaken men to regenerate and know the true God and repent of their evil ways. And so, you know, that that place is not, you don't got to go anywhere for that. Huh? It comes to you. And even your local altar is it coming, him coming to you. So I don't want to dissuade anyone from taking a nice trip to the Holy Land, but when you go over there and you get rebaptized as a Lutheran, you're just adult. You're just adult, not an adult, a adult at that point, because that water is not more holy. When you bring back the, the dirt and you plant it in your soil, I mean, I don't know what God might do with that. Who knows what kind of miracles he in fact did work in, but you know what? You're, you're actually trying to practice white magic when you do it. When you try to manipulate it, when you try to make it your own, rather than just let God give you the miracle, if God wants to make your soil bloom, why don't you just ask him? I mean, he could do it anywhere. Why do you have to go get dirt from across the world and bring it back? Because because you believe in relics. See, and the moment you start believing in relics, now you really have a problem. This is where you think that like holiness and holy places now are magically powerful. So I mentioned how your altar is a holy place and should be treated with the reverence of an all-important relic. It should. It should be acted as if if you touch it wrong, you die. But you're not going to because it's not, in fact, a relic. It is not. It is just a piece of stone or wood or something you set up on which you put some bread and wine and some very fancy wares because Jesus said to, because Jesus said he's going to be there. But because he's there in order to do these great and magnificent things that are beyond the imaginations of men, for that reason, we might want to keep our imaginations where they should be with regard to what kind of God he is. Yeah, And so in that regard, all the awareness of holiness as if, again, the altar and the pulpit and the, those stairs that go up into the, the sacristy area, um, excuse me, the, the, uh, uh, I'm losing the word for it, but the, go up to around chancel, up to the chancel area. And treat that as if, like, it's, it's made of living fire, right? Because well, behind the scenes it is. And with angels and archangels, that living fire is going to awaken and enliven and inspire you this day, right? As you feast in here. And you're going to go away from it again with your feet on, on fire with the knowledge that death is not going to contain them, yeah? Um, so, so yes, there's holy places. Is Jerusalem holy? Yes, but is, is it a place of relics? Well, no, and it's, goodness, it shouldn't be. Um, I, I didn't really talk about the blue fire yet, um, or I should say the strange fire. I like to think of the blue fire as strange fire, because indeed it is. Um, but, uh, you know, this Leviticus 10, Adib and... Abihu. Abihu. Nadab. Nadab. Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, who are the, the guys. I mean, they're going to be high priests and priests, the leaders of leaders the rest of their lives. They've been given basically a kingdom, although it's traveling with a tent through the desert. But nonetheless, they've got a, a kingdom. Everyone gives them money and food. Like, it isn't going to get better for anybody that they know than they've got it. All they have to do is follow the list. <laughs> and they're like, you know, well, let's make something up. What do you say? <laughs> Let's just try it. And, and they, we don't even know what they did. 
it, the, the language in Hebrew is a bit bizarre. Unauthorized fire, strange fire. The, the point is there's a fire they're supposed to do that was set up by God for the altar, and they did a different one. I mean, it might have just been like the guy invented a match. I mean, like, hey, look at this, what I got, you know? It might have been something as wicked as, in fact, bringing dem- demonology and demonic practices from Egypt into the place. I don't know. But, but God was very not cool with this and in, consumes them. He consumes them in fire. He, he doesn't even like give them a chance to think about it. Yeah? And this is where I, I hope at some point you decide Jesus is the God of the Old Testament and that he's a God of grace and that nothing that happens is for the evil of the good. <laughs> but instead, it's for the retribution of the evil. So it's not as though these guys didn't deserve this. It's not as though it wasn't really fair, right? I mean, it was more than fair what they got. It was, it was just exactly fair. In fact, if it was unfair, God had already been gracious to them, and so it was unfair in that way. But what we want to learn from this strange fire bit is that uh, wherein the Lord hath spoken, the Lord hath spoken. And woe unto him who says, uh, did God really say? And wherein the Lord hath not spoken, the Lord hath not spoken. And though man's reason may be a mighty fine thing, and his passions indeed make him very different from the animals in a good way, nonetheless, for him to impose his own person over and above the word of God onto another, or over and above the word of God, well, I mean, again, woe to such a man. Woe to such a man. Yeah. Uh, instead, where do we stand? We stand as those redeemed and bought by the blood of a single man, Jesus, whose mouth did not leave this planet without a singular effect on what has been written. Hmm? Like, like you just can't even compete with the guy. Nobody ever will. And then you can believe he's God and your king and loves you. Okay? So, so that's pretty sweet, right? So Jesus leaving behind the New Testament scriptures uh, means that holy ground, again, is anywhere those words are spoken by one, but even better, two or three of those who are his witnesses, right? Those who believe what those scriptures have said. And every time you say them aloud again, you are that witness in the present. Uh, Whether for the angels alone, right? Again, if you're alone, uh, the angel that is with you to guard you is there and will not mind hearing it, and you'll hear it, and it'll all be better. But again, the power of the church, the gathering of sinners, is bringing the two and three together into the same, the unified prayer uh, for the sake of that holy place. So, let me suggest you one last thing. So the, the, the places that are holy ground for you are your church altar and your house. Your house. I've been talking recently about the gate and guarding your gate and knowing that you have a, a space that opens to the public and then from that space you go into the private. That private is kind of what holy is, right? It is set apart. It is distinct. It is not the world. It is where you are. Now, the question is, is it only holy to you or is it made holy by the word of God in prayer? Are there, in fact, symbols, truths, realities present in that space that teach you and preach to you and get you to say again what the truth of God is? Or are you surrounded only by idols? Like literally nothing but what you want to see 
and none of that actually Jesus or his word, right? Well, then it's not a very holy place. But, but truly, your house is the one place for you to make holy. Uh, and you do it by the word of God in prayer. And anybody who wants to do some research, go ahead and check out Luther's pondering of the third commandment, both small and large catechisms on that. And you'll find, yeah, right, that's exactly what he just said. So um, there we go. I think, I, think, I think I covered most of it. What are your thoughts? You have thoughts on any of that? Um, yeah, I actually looked up the Leviticus 10 because I was curious about it. And I'm struck by how in Leviticus 9, right before, the priestly ministry begins. Um, so you have kind of the first, so God's giving them all of their uh, instructions on how to do it all. And then Aaron, and it looks like it's just Aaron, takes takes what he needs and offers it and huh. the Lord consumes it with fire and the people all fall down and are like, wow, that was crazy. Like, yeah, it's a real God there. And hey. then Ned, Nedab and Abihu come mm-hmm. along and are like, oh, well, let's do our thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like they're trying to do it. claim the fame. Yeah, it's strange. It's a strange moment. It's an odd and it's And there's not a lot of information there. Uh, I think, again, the, the takeaway is what the Lord hath spoken, the Lord hath spoken, and woe unto man who, who walks away. And what the Lord hath spoken, the Lord hath spoken, and it is a blessing, every word, every word. Yeah. Um, we have a, <laughs> Even the flies. a listener who's adding some comments as well about how an Old Testament prof at the seminary has said that they didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but on their way to offer sacrifice somebody brushed them and made them unclean or you know in some way there was an uncleanness uh, yeah there definitely was an uncleanness i think that's that's that a very way. that's a very you, you want to cover the nakedness of your fathers but you don't want to cover what the scripture says about them being naked so that you might learn from it for such a time as this and i'm just gonna say strange fire wasn't just like an oops like these guys they burned something they weren't supposed to burn in some way. And fire, as an image of wrath universally in the Bible, even when you're on fire for Jesus, it's because you've realized you're dying and he saved you. <laughs> so you know, it's still about the wrath. Um, fire is, as a, a thing of wrath, is then very much connected to holiness. So God purifies things that are unholy. He makes them clean by burning them until all the dross burns away. Um so then again, to bring a different fire, a different attempt to um, make clean, right? So that, in that way, the prophet's right. They were not clean, but where I'd say I don't think he says enough is, is that they were trying to make clean in an unclean way. And that, that doesn't need to be really narrow. That can be a lot of different things in life, right? Mm-hmm. But specifically for us, then, that would be attempting to be Christians without the Bible, like that's that would be strange fire right there, right? And it's gonna burn you up, I think. Yeah. Yeah. B. Oh, this one's All fun. Right. Yay! <clears throat> you ready for vaccines? Here it comes. Okay. Dear Rev Fisk, a few weeks ago, my pastor was out of town, so on a whim, I visited a, visited a different LCMS church, a much larger one than my own congregation. I really enjoyed the service, my first matins, and the sermon was also quite good. 
But at the end of the service, something happened that made me think I wouldn't be visiting again anytime soon. The pastor prayed that everyone would see the wisdom of getting the COVID-19 vaccine. How widespread is this sentiment within the LCMS clergy? I'm pretty sure my pastor feels the same way, though, thankfully. He doesn't push a political agenda from the pulpit. You're the only pastor in the LCMS that I know of who hasn't swallowed this whole thing. Hook, line, and sinker. I'd appreciate your thoughts. Sincerely, H. I I think there are more. I think there's a lot more. But I I think you're also on to something that there are many who think that the right thing to do is tell everyone to get vaccinated, right? Whereas uh, I honestly think the right thing to do is to tell you not to. I don't do it in the announcements at my church because that's maybe overstepping my role there, uh, wherein my role is generally to stick with moralism like in, in a good way, right? So I'm not going to tell you that like, oh, you take three Tylenol, let's tell you a leave. You take two Tylenol, a leave. I got to go and find out if you do because you might get addicted. And then when you're in your 50s, it'll be really bad for you, right? Or in your 60s, right? So like, like the pastor's job isn't to monitor your health. It's to monitor your spiritual faith, your trust that your health's going to crash and you're still going to live, right? Um, and so I don't bring my, my understanding of and my, my concerns about the vaccines into the parish. However, we're not in the parish right now, right? We're just on my YouTube channel. <laughs> so my opinions are, are largely my opinions, and they're free to be that. And this idea that Lutheran pastors can't have opinions is, is very cult-like, honestly. Uh, I, just, I just can't fathom where on earth that is a good idea, that we just have religion that doesn't impact our lives in some way. <laughs> it's just, and then we wonder why no one wants to follow us. So, so okay. What is the actual split within the Missouri Synod? Nobody knows. This is like within the, in the, the country too, right? It's the same thing, just on a smaller level. Like no one really knows what anybody thinks because everyone's putting on a show because everyone's lying and everyone's afraid. And so everyone's like, well, I'm not going to say more than I have to. I don't want to get yelled at. Everyone on every side. And so we, nobody knows what's going on except for that we do know that if you happen to get in a conversation about this, um, it can become like a conversation about religion. That is... Very quickly, it is not just a conversation. Very quickly, it is an escalated, heated situation in one per, in which one person truly believes they have a moral high ground and must compel the other person uh, to not act. Now, what I have found interesting is that while amongst themselves, uh, anti-COVID vaxxers uh, do think that there's something incredibly socially, physically dangerous about this experiment— None of us really think we have the moral high ground. We just think we're not really wanting to sign up for the Russian roulette, right? And so, um, but there is uh, definitely the idea that there's a moral high ground coming from the you must be vaccinated against COVID crowd. There's no question about that. Uh, that we got, there's signs all over uh, our city which say things like, you know, it's the right thing to do. You know, just just say it one more time. Just just everyone just is the good thing. And eventually, you know, we all buckle because the white noise is the gaslight. And boom, you don't even know what they talked you into, and you've already done it. And wow, isn't that crazy, right? Well, that's that's the screens, man. That's the worship in the screens. They will they will mess with your head. So, um, no matter what, though, because these two are so opposed to each other, and because at least one side sees it as a moral issue that therefore must be pressed, a religious issue that must be pressed. It's hard to get a fair check on this because the culture of fear 
which communism, Marxism, tends to instigate for its own benefit. Um, a culture of fear is dominating all conversations in almost every place about this. So even in a place like St. Paul Lutheran Church Rockford, where we have a really strong focus on being prepared for potential societal collapse, you get a lot of members there that care about sustainability and networking and having real food sources and all things like like we don't talk about vaccines. We just don't. It's just not a conversation. Now, this is fascinating, right? This is fascinating. Something this big and divisive. Why? Because we're all so afraid. Because the culture of fear is upon us. Because uh, Rod Dreyer is right. Uh, Marxism has been here for a while running the show. And now we're all like, oh, look, we don't even have elections. All right. So what does that mean for everything else? Just this morning, I ran into an article on Twitter by a guy who was incredibly well-read. I don't know about his credentials, but his, his referencing was insane. And his writing was very, very clear about the polio scare and 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 how the polio vaccines maybe probably he says probably yeah you know it's the first time i've read it the polio vaccines did nothing to remove polio and polio was removed largely from getting arsenic out of the um the pesticides of the day so yeah and that countries that still use arsenic pesticides still have paralyzed children often wow yeah you know the full one i mean who knows we talked about fluoride with our our mm. lawyer the other day <laughs> we won't go there right now but like like it's just the uh, I believe all men are liars, so at a certain point, the lies I find in the world stop surprising me and just start being like, why did I even trust to begin with? Um, at the same time, in, in the white noise of the Matrix, who knows what story is really real and what isn't? And this is why I'm always pushing y'all. You know, The sun goes up, the sun goes down, the moon goes round and round, the week comes and goes, your church is there to be the other clock, and from that point on, whatever you can see and talk to is real, and the rest of it's a story. And while the story from far away might be true, it's still far away, right? And so what today is here for you is what's here for you, unless you invite in all those demons from far away that you just don't really need in your life. So, so okay, okay, okay. So like stories about vaccines and arguments about agendas, I mean, if you lived in a farm and just managed your business, you might not even know all this was going on wouldn't that be pleasant um so uh good luck right amish here we come um not really but they do know something we don't know and we're all kind of figuring that out uh okay so uh pastors are not police they are shepherds i talked about that already uh there was uh frisbee the hand made a comment about how it is interesting that the pastor that was at this church that seems to be liturgical and really focused on a lot of good things made it part of the prayer to pray that everybody would see the wisdom of taking the vaccine, right? So now, now you are, in fact, preaching in your prayer, which regardless of what you're doing it about, you know, it could be about the fourth commandment, and it's kind of passive-aggressive then too, right? It's like, use, this, use the pulpit to tell people what they should do and what wisdom is, and then just pray for um, uh, clear things that are not specifically local your agenda, right? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, or you know, tell people to do it. Don't like pray that they would do it publicly to shame them. Like that's just it's just ridiculous. So so Frisbee pointed that out and said, well, maybe they're praying for everybody else because they know they're all vaccinated. They want everyone else to come to the wisdom of it. No, that's a nice best construction. But <laughs> I'm not sure best constructioning the liars and the seared consciences is always the best thing. I'm not sure this guy's a liar or a seared conscience. Um, he certainly is following a line of screen talk. Let's call it that. Um, that uh, there are a good number, but I don't know what number, 7,000, uh, that uh, in the LCMS aren't, aren't really on board with like, hey, let's all just keep listening to, to Big Pharma. Um, they must have our best interest in mind. Um, but it, what does that mean? Okay. Um, I had, a, again, a fascinating conversation with several people recently. I'm hoping to get one of 
their contacts on the show. Um, didn't think there'd be time at all to do that uh, by this weekend, but um, it, here, here's the thing about the vaccines. Like, we should know fairly soon, meaning within a couple years, what the, what the real outcome of these things are on public health. Uh, we should know. And it would seem that this so-called Delta variant and the, the new rising mask mandates from the CDC and, and all this, well, this, this might also really show us a few things. I mean, again, the death tolls have not been there for a long time. So those aren't really things that matter, but it is something to keep an eye on as the new variants come. Because one of the concerns about the vaccines is that they make you more susceptible and not less to these diseases. And so any news you can find on death tolls will be really, really interesting, right, uh, this fall particularly. Um, but, I mean, golly, I say that with such cold-hearted blood, right? Uh, this is the problem. We're all stuck at a catch-22 where we all know that there's a, a do-or-die choice that no one knows which do-or-die is right in terms of how it's going to play out. No one knows if there's going to be a wrath from God against this particular thing for any reason, or if it's just the culmination of his wrath against us for our greed and licentiousness over the last hundred years as we've just decided he doesn't exist as a society. And you're like, well, I'm a Christian, I believe. Yeah, but look at where you live. <laughs> you're in Sidon. You know, you're in Sodom. So like if God tears it down, God tears it down, right? And again, come out from her, my people. Um, it means build an ark, you know, find your holy space and pray for it to survive. Yeah? Um, and uh, if, if in your holy space, the agenda has become the agenda of the screen, I mean, it doesn't matter what the topic is. It doesn't matter if it's a vaccine topic or, or otherwise. This is, this is my concern for your question, right? Is that if right now your pastors are saying what the talking points are for the big regime that runs us through media right now, um, well then whatever they say next, they'll say that too. Um, or they're going to have a hard time walking back amongst a population that is likewise listening to, to Big Brother, right? And, and letting Big Brother just tell them what to do. So they, that's where the, my concern is, and I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Um, but, you know, ignorance is ignorance. That's just it. Uh, I have noticed a generational divide here. Um, I have noticed that people, it's somewhere in your 40s, somewhere in your 40s. Uh, right now, right? It, it has to do with, like, uh, do you identify? I mean, you could put it this crassly. If you identify upwards toward Gen X, uh, you are more likely to not have a problem with the vaccine at all. And if you identify downward toward millennialism, you, uh, you are likely to be more willing to question it. Um, I think this has to do with growing up in media-saturated environments and having your, your, um, your olfactory sensors strengthened. Uh, you, can, you can smell the rat faster than those who grew up on phones and black and white TV. Phones on the wall, black and white TV, got some color with, what, 10 channels. And then only like 10 years ago, they got these iPhone things and iPads. And they were, oh, right. And then, I mean, they were flower children. I mean, they were, they were unprepared, unprepared for this. So, okay, um, I think I've given it as much of an answer as I want to give to that. The, the trouble with the vaccine question is it's so much of it's just straight up we don't know. Vaccine is not a word that has a singular meaning. It means to try to prevent something by sticking something into you. And the ways that they work are not the same. They, they, and the way they try to work are manifold and different from the different kinds of vaccines to the history of their development. So to talk about vaccines is itself confusing because it's not something you can talk about. 
So what I would like to talk about is eugenic DNA experimentation. Yeah, no, no, it's RNA. Okay, fine. I'm going to call it genetic DNA experimentation because that makes it make sense to people. Okay, um, that's something that while we have very little information about it, I can tell you it's absolutely brand new in history. I can tell you it messes with unseen things at a cosmically small level. Uh, I can tell you that if you're doing it to try not to die, that that might not be what God really wants for you because sometimes God just says, you know, it's better to die right now than when all the stuff that's about to go down is about to go down. It'd be better to die right now. Like, like that happens sometimes in the Bible. So we should learn from that, right? Um, and I had one more, but I forgot it. I, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Any thoughts? I, well, I think it's important for us as Christians to remember that um, death is a mercy. Yeah. And so why, why are we clinging it's to this? It's the goal. Just ask ourselves. Running toward the tomb of Jesus. I mean, and if you can believe you can't die, it gets kind of fun. It's hard. It's hard to keep this one up. But it's like, no, I really can't die. Like, even when I die, I won't die. So then, why am I so afraid of dying? Like, like what, what's the, I mean, don't, I'm not going to go try to jump 10 feet across like a 10-story gap or whatever, right? Like, like, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that a little bit, like, if that's your job, you know, then do your job and like, like just love it. You know? Well, and that brings my mind back to Nadab and Abihu, where it's, I, I wonder sometimes if God, because death is a mercy, to live is Christ and to die is gain. God sees these men and what they did with the power they were given. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. And he says, I want to save my people. I want yeah. them to die in the faith. So for them and specifically, so you're saying. And so for you, Nadab and Abihu, you're in the faith right now, but I see where you're going. It's hard and to so know, I'm yeah. I'm taking you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it will be a lesson for my children who are left. And it will be a grace for you now. And so I just wonder about that as I read through the Old Testament and I see these things happening. Yeah. Um, You're right. You're right in what you're seeing as the kind of Romans 8 elective God's mindset. What we just don't know is where Nadab and Abihu were. Right. We don't. We We have no idea. And so God is protecting his people by removing the strange fire straight up. And then... If those men still had faith, then they died in the faith. And then that was a mercy to them that they had to no longer walk through the desert with a lot of heavy gold and clothing that they had to wear to do bloody sacrifices in a stinky pit every day. So, like, I mean, they were kings, but, like, that's what being a king meant in a sense, right? They were priests, not kings. But, yeah, right? But And today, so with COVID at our doorstep and these horror stories that we're hearing, right? it's terrifying. And yet... We have a merciful, loving God who says, I've got you. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Done. Yeah. That's right. And so That's right. why cling right. to this? I mean, I said, I said this to a, a good friend of mine um, who was asking about the vaccines. And I said, well, look, man, if, if, go ahead and do it. And then if it all goes bad and you die, y'all die. Like, then you miss out on the crazy of trying to survive afterwards. Like, if, if that's really what happens, right? Um, at the same time, like, uh, is that really what you want? And for him, it really wasn't. So, you know, we were able to talk kind of the other direction because it's really better to do what your conscience is pushing you to do on these issues. Uh, cause the way torment works is by turning your conscience against itself. And you, you want to undo that by walking in your integrity, which means if you're wrong, then repent when you find out. But like, if you're, if you are honestly wrong, then you're just honestly wrong. You're not maliciously 
evilly wrong. And a lot of Christians are honestly wrong about a lot of stuff, and they get through life just fine with it and cannot lead the church astray. Sure, that's why not many should be teachers. But it doesn't always destroy everything right away. And so, again, on the vaccine thing, if you've already got it, you've already got it. And if you still want to get it, like, like roll your roll your crapshoot, you know? I mean, that's the way I see it. Is it I, I don't want to roll my crapshoot on, like, the color of man-made inventions that haven't been tested for which there is no recourse if they go wrong that cost billions of dollars, make billions of dollars. And I just am a guinea pig. Like that doesn't sound like betting odds I want. Right. Um, for someone else, like they got nothing else going. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Or you, or you but we know people locally who they did it to be able to get into places mm-hmm. to see people, right. Who otherwise they wouldn't be able to get in and see. So, um, which does bring up a challenge for pastors. I mean, uh, uh, locally our, uh, Nursing homes have not let pastors in until very recently, and vaccination didn't have anything to do with it at the time. Um, uh, but but, 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 but uh, that being said, um, people who did that, it wasn't like they were sinning in the sense of they better repent of it or else Jesus won't love them anymore, right? Like, this is about wisdom. Um, salvation is about Jesus saving us from our sins for sure so that we're free to not be perfect. We're not free to try to be evil. So we all want to try to do the good thing here. Um, but when there's a disagreement, then we just got to go ahead and each do what we think is good and keep walking forward, which again has been the pleasant reality, interestingly, at St. Paul, uh, wherein we have people of both parties, you know, and uh, we don't talk about it, and it could really divide us later. I don't know how to bring it up in a way that doesn't divide us now, Um but what I do say to people is keep those conversations outside the door so that inside the door, the unity around word and spirit is very, very clear. Now, when it comes to abortifacients, it's a whole different thing, right? So if we're talking Johnson Johnson vaccine, yeah, you don't get that option. You don't get that option. Yeah. Huh. All right. Next question is going to be another conversation here with, with Meredith because she's going to be definitely the better vested guru. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, oh, I am. Yeah. Yes. There we go. Okay. I was going with C, not M. Yeah. Okay. She's she's the better vested guru in, in this question, but I, I can say a thing or two as well. So. All right. <clears throat> I was speaking with a friend who served as a medical missionary in India. She told me that the Indian Christians flee from every aspect of Hinduism, including yoga. I talked to fellow American Christians about the Hindu origins of yoga and that maybe Christians should flee from it. They argue it is just a workout, and many churches even have yoga groups. What are your thoughts on Christians practicing yoga, even with a secular approach? Thank you, and blessings, Joseph. Yeah, so I, I've never actually seen a secular approach to yoga. That would be interesting. Pilates. But even there, the spirituality tends to seep in with the... It does. The, um, just a bit. On the mat, I should say. Uh, it's kind of like also, you know, you go to a kung fu or a karate or, or jiu-jitsu, there is generally a spirituality that's involved with these things in some way. Um, oh, and I had another lead-in. I'm going to want to throw it to you pretty quick, but I had another kind of lead-in. Um, uh, It'll come back to me. The defining what yoga is 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 a difficult thing to begin with here, here was the other thought last week we had a question from someone who's going to write in again i think oh maybe not anyway uh, last week we had a question about music 
and uh, from a former witch, former Wiccan, talking about how a certain Newsboys song uh, could not serve her or served her poorly as a Christian song because it led her to believe things that were false that she already believed as if they were Christian things. Someone who has never had that life might find in that song a place to fill it with all the doctrine that they know, which is only that of, you know, Psalter Proverbs and, you know, Ten Commandments, Creed, Lord's Prayer, right? And so there's nothing really wrong with that song then. And so I think if we're going to talk about what yoga ultimately is, um, I think you have to see it in that same kind of light. But recognizing then, without question, it is almost always presented as a religion. And so, you know, can you eat the meat in the market and not pray the prayers, you know, being sacrificed? Uh, You know, when you sit there and you do effectively have a stretching and breathing routine for 30 minutes, and then the leader decides to offer some weird guru prayer at the end of it, I mean, what happened, right? And how prepared are you to know you don't belong there and you're stealing? (laughs) But it's the good kind of pillaging. It's the kind that God gives you, wherein uh, you can take the wisdom of the Gentiles and not their folly. Uh, You can see that, oh yeah, Dower Dog's really good for you. And if you breathe slow, man, it feels amazing. Yeah, so you can learn that without having to believe that it's about you know your soul becoming one with itself through the inner power of the light that you know yada yada. Christians who pick this up and do it in their churches all too often do the thing that the the Wiccan mentioned with the music, where they they bring the bad and the good together. They don't know the difference. They don't understand how Scripture is different than the other spirits of the world. And so you know it is something that I think you got to be completely careful about. And generally, I would not recommend that you try unless it's like at the YMCA or something where you're going to get a panoply of weird, really, but you'll also get an introduction to some of the basics. But you have to do it knowing that you're going in to listen to a, an American yogaist is a secular false teacher that teaches the same moralistic therapeutic pantheism that everybody else teaches. And so it's like having a conversation with your neighbor about how to paint the fence, right? And then when he says, and you got to sacrifice the chicken, you're like, um, yeah, thanks. Not going to do that part, though. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I'm a Christian. So they, that's kind of the way I see this. Um, it's sad that there are not better or easier places for Christians to practice physical health. We've completely, as a culture, lost sight of that in some sort of Protestant work ethic, machine humdrum, go to work, get her done, drink hard, watch movies, do it again on the weekend that we think is godly. I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a different complaint, I suppose. But... If you're going to get mad at yoga, you better get mad at the American lifestyle too. I guess that's what I'm saying. So, but you, why? Why is Meredith qualified? Meredith's been um, practicing privately, but with various YouTube teaching yoga for quite some time, and I would say is very good at it. <laughs> she, she's strong, uh, and uh, it's it's impacted your um, your health in really positive ways. Wherein you've been able to say that if you don't get it, the anxiety in life is just a different level. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So would you like to talk about that a little bit? Um, I can. Uh, throughout my pregnancy years, I did do Pilates. And so my, my comment about Pilates um, not being, Pilates being more secular, it, it is. It doesn't have the um, spiritual side of it. And that was why I did Pilates. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... It, that was an exercise developed for injured ballerinas, however. Mm-hmm. And so it does have a very different aspect to it. Um, 
I have appreciated the the moves and the sequences more in what would be considered yoga over Pilates because Pilates Pilates is more of a workout. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, you're getting a little bit more of that grind. Whereas yoga is a gentle massage. Except for that one teacher at the YMCA who really wanted it to be a workout. <laughs> and I didn't want to go back ever because that was just like, no, I didn't come here today for this. <laughs> Goodness gracious lady. Yeah, uh, you do have your, your different teachers. That's for sure. Um, do these squats. You'll like these. No, no, I won't. <laughs> I promise I won't like those at all. <laughs> and I was really excited to learn how quickly... You can be given the name mm. of yogi. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I sure. was like, oh really? That's that's easy. You know, it's kind of like you walk in the door and a, you start just doing right. kind of child's pose, and you're a yogi. Yeah. Congratulations, yeah. you made it. Yeah. Um, that so that was encouraging. But then as I started to figure, think about like, okay, what what is behind yoga? Mm-hmm. It made me more uncomfortable and it makes me more uncomfortable to say that I practice yoga. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Because because in one way you don't, I don't, yeah. I don't want to be a part of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm going to do a little backstory and I was looking at some classics with the kids and we were trying to decide what is a good classic to watch as a movie. And, um, we decided Pride and Prejudice is good. Mm, yeah. okay? So there's lots of good lessons. And the kids were like, what about Little Women? That's good. And I thought about it for a minute, and I remembered you saying something about transcendentalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that being the teaching that the family had caught on to. The father was a pastor. And um, the mother definitely uses some of those teachings in the ways she talks to her kids and so forth. And then you see it in Joe's just worldview as she gets older. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked up transcendentalism and would you it's go, Hinduism, I mean, right? it's like, go figure yeah. it is. It is yoga. Yeah. It is the exact thing that you see in these yogis walking around the light in me bows to the light in you. What yep, yep, is yep. that? Hinduism. Well, transcendentalism says that, the divine is inside of all of us. Right. And so if we dig deep enough, we'll find it and we'll nurture it. We'll bring it out. I mean, once you find it, I don't know what you do with it, but it's also the classic Gnostic teaching. Well, you realize it, you realize that you're part of God. And then when you die, it's okay. It's, it's very, then you, then you become, then you go higher rather than lower. So if you don't realize you're part of God, then when you die, you go lower on the totem pole. You become you know unclean in some way or a lower form of animal. And then get into the Hindu reincarnation. But it really is all about um, f- once you know gnosis, knowledge, mm-hmm. that you are light and not darkness, now the darkness cannot hold you and all things are always upward toward the great. Yeah, But it's through that secret knowledge. And then the real guru has like the better understanding because everyone who thinks that they have this or find it, they're like, yeah, I found enlightenment. And then three weeks later, they're like, man, I don't feel very enlightened anymore. I need more. And the guru is like, well, you haven't tried this yet. Well, mm-hmm. Come do this. Follow me. You know? so the guru is just always out kind of giving further answers to push you back to the same um, search, right? And then in that search, eventually you get the emotion that is the one you're looking for. Oh, yeah, that's right. Here I am, enlightened. Um, and now they would say it's not emotion. Uh, they would say that it is removing emotion. But um, I think 
for most Americans doing yoga, uh, this is largely just about feeling better. Mm-hmm. And the moment of breathing and having the the discipliner say something like, the inner light in me salutes the inner light in you. For most Americans, this is like just the least stressful thing they've done all week is sit there and breathe while someone says something calm, right? Like, and so, so for them, it's, it's very, very rewarding and impactful and they think it's spiritual and, and meaningful, but what it is is they just don't have a screen in front of their face and someone's being kind to them, which is very rare, right? Right, well, <laughs> and that's what kept getting me to go back. Yeah. Is that on, on YouTube, my instructor, she says right away, I'm so glad you're here. Hmm. You know, it's like, it's almost like you sit down on your mat. You're a winner. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's all I got to do is just yeah. roll my little foamy mat out and I'm a winner. God be praised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then like see, what you do with that as a Christian is you turn it to praise of God. And this is where the challenge is. Um, like, I think, I think our answer to this question is you must reject yoga as yoga. You have to. Absolutely. You have to reject it as Hinduism. Can you learn to stretch from a pagan? and ignore all the pagan stuff they say. I mean, if you can go to a Muslim doctor and get prescribed a pill, then you can go to a yoga instructional thing and learn how to stretch and then walk away or, or watch yoga with Andrea. And you watch that one because she says so very little. She, she said, she doesn't take herself seriously. Mm. So even though she says these different things, she'll make comments about it where it's like, okay, she said it because she's supposed to, but, it's but not she's even... half heartedly believing it. Hmm. And so that was intriguing to me. Hmm. And then it was easier for me when she said, you know, um, let's uh, place our hands in front of our, our hearts and bow our heads in prayer and thank, uh, say a prayer of thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I can sit there and I can say, yeah, I am going to thank the Lord yeah, thank right Jesus. now yeah. for this day and for this ability to just take a quiet moment. Yeah. Um, so for me, she's been the easiest one to do that with. And you often will say a creedal statement or something also. Instead. Right. In this season um, after um, uh, the season of Pentecost or after Pentecost, I've been saying the Athanasian Creed oh, each is that time all? I do it. Just that. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So halfway it's in my hymnal. It's written on two pages. So you uh-huh. have to flip the page. Uh-huh. So I'll sit cross-legged one way and then flip the page and switch my legs yeah, so that yeah. I have one of the other leg is in front now. Right. So and you I generally will start that about the time that she goes into her, the light salutes you yeah, stuff. Yeah, so right? when she's starting to bow to yeah. us. Which all. you can do because it's on YouTube and you wouldn't be able to quite do in the studio. Um, right. Uh, let's see. I, I don't want to diminish when we just had a conversation about holy ground and proximity to evil. Like you walk into a room with a guru, you are walking into the presence of a potential great evil. Um, they might also just be an American who knows how to stretch and then thinks that it feels good to breathe and, and doesn't really care much about much else. Um, does that mean there are no demons or darkness present? I, you know, I've been readily wrestling with that one recently, so I don't want to be on the records have an answer just right at the moment. Um, what I know is that the fight is one we can't ignore. It's one we have ignored. I know that, um, at the same time, you can walk into Babylon like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you can outshine them in their own attempt at light, right? Uh, Because what you have in you is the true light and it illumines you to see both the way you should go and and the darkness that you should not go into. Um, So get the plank out of your eye. Recognize there are liars with seared consciences. Uh, Know that uh, yoga is 
it's like the word love or pizza. Like it just, it mm-hmm. means whatever someone says it means when you talk to them. Um, but that, you know, finding your way into some of the wisdom of the martial arts will always involve learning levels of discernment and defending yourself, which if you are coming out of those cultures, of course you're not going to be as good at. And why would you want to do that, right? Um, but they will probably be less uh, susceptible to things that might be dangerous for us. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like we had some traffic going by. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, anything else you want to say on that one? Take our three-minute break. We're about 10 o'clock. You can say more before we go. Um, I guess more or less just understanding that anytime it's it's kind of the same thing as turning on netflix mm. really i don't know how it's not i mean at least the same thing anytime that we're gonna dabble in right. um yeah anytime we're gonna dabble in the world huh. we are going to have to remind ourselves right. to be in the world but not of the world right 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 and um i there are going to be levels of or times in your in your faith <laughs> in this oh yeah I don't know where he is I think it's oh yeah right it's across the yeah he'll go behind his house <laughs> soon um, so anyway there are going to be times in your life when you're going to feel stronger and times when you're going to feel less strong and maybe today is a day when uh, your faith isn't in a position where you can allow some guru that's speaking nonsense to you to come in and you need to just take a firmer stand on nope today i just need to listen to the bible's words one of the really fascinating things about uh, out of the book on demonology that i've been reading recently from kurt cock lutheran pastor from the state churches in germany um is how he says like he talks about how at a couple times in his life or his ministry he has been in counseling with someone and he suddenly felt that he should command the demon to leave Hmm. and he did um one time but he doesn't always do it sometimes he wants to and he just he says he feels like it would be dangerous and he doesn't but one time he went against that and then he found that for the next several days he was overwhelmed by effectively despair torment of some kind and so the idea is that he picked a fight he wasn't ready for right Mm. so somewhere in all of this proximity of holiness is you're alone away from the group and you don't know what you're fighting until you get there. <laughs> so don't go alone, right? And like stay tied to the group. It is good for us to remind ourselves of these things. Uh, with uh, We'll go ahead and take care of this by shutting the garage door in just a moment. We'll be right back in a few minutes. It is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. More of your questions, Bibles, answers, and our nonsense coming your way. Stick around. So we're, we're back. We're back. We're, we're trying to move the mic, or not the mic, the camera. And now yours is really dark is the only thing there because of the way that it is. Yeah, I can't get it better. So, um, let's go with D. We'll just do it from here. Here we are. Okay. What's up, Ryan? Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Doing good? Hi, Pastor Fisk. I got two questions I struggle answering others when asked. Number one, where in the Bible does it direct that a pastor should baptize? I agree it should be a pastor if possible, but is there really a command or instruction that puts baptism under the pastor's responsibility and not one father's or grandfather's should, should or could also do as commanded in Matthew 28? Should we keep going or do you want to answer that first? Well, what's the rest of the question? Okay. Does it go that's, the, that's the question. 
And then there's a second question. Okay, yeah, no, we'll go from there. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge to this question, if you want to have Bible verses be your answer, is what the word pastor means. So you're like, where does the Bible say this about pastors? Well, the Bible almost says nothing about pastors as pastors. The word pastor is almost not used. It, there's a few places, very, very few. It's never translated as pastor. It's always translated as shepherd because that, that's what the word is in Greek. And pastor, I believe, comes out of the Latin. I'm not sure. Um, but so uh, if you're going to ask the question, can only pastors baptize, you have to figure out what on earth that word pastor means. And that means you have to go to the Bible and figure out what what is this thing that every church we know of has <laughs> and if you don't have one, your church really doesn't exist for long, usually. Um, what is this thing, according to the Bible? And uh, what, are its, what are its requirements? What is it there to do? And then once you've figured out what that is, this question takes on, I think, a, a pretty clear answer. Um, so if you understand that what the pastor is, is he's the guy who's recognized by the group as the voice. Right? Now, you can have more than one, but you're really only going to have one ultimately in any given community who is the voice for Jesus by judging the scriptures or by understanding the scriptures. We usually say by preaching the scriptures, right? So you might've heard me say judging as if you're free to judge right or wrong. No, no, that's not what I mean. I mean judging according to what the scriptures say in constant conversation. So in theory, though, every Christian man ought to be able to do this, and the one who is recognized as the pastor is nothing other than kind of the official Christian man in that place who is to be like and akin to all the other Christian men, a model for them to follow. Um, so, okay, with, with that being understood then, um, every father in the home serves as the shepherd and pastor of the home. And this is kind of irrevocable, the reality of the priesthood of Melchizedek, the one into which we are baptized. Right? We're not baptized in the priesthood of Levi, but the priesthood of Melchizedek. And this is then Jesus' baptism, the one that he institutes, which he sends into the world in order to make disciples. And that's what Matthew 28 says. Now, when you go look at Matthew 28, 19 and following, where it says to go into all nations and make disciples, who is he talking to there? That's an important question. It happens to be the 11, the 11 apostles. With them, possibly, are others, but it doesn't say that. Um, it says the 11. And he tells them to go into all nations to baptize and to teach. So from there, we see that there is a sending of an official capacity, this apostolic ministry, um, this uh, authorized uh, authorized version of Christianity, if you want to call that, the authorized Christianity, um, that this is sent initially not in everyone's mouth, but only in certain designated witnesses' mouths for the sake of everybody else. So then from there, who does the baptizing when baptizing happens? It would seem that it is apostles early on, but very quickly you have the deacons who are maybe pastors, maybe not, sort of, we're not sure, and everyone argues about it. Uh, you have the deacons baptizing and preaching and getting killed before anybody else gets killed uh, as well. So, okay, so now your question again is, uh, you know, who baptizes in the church now? Uh, do only pastors baptize. Okay. So well, if, if now in the church you recognize that there's always going to be a voice, there has to be a voice, and you want that voice to be held accountable to the Word of God, and so you, you call that voice and you, you tell that voice, that person, right, you're going to do this you know, according to all of these rules. Um, well, then it makes sense for that voice to be the one who publicly does the things that voice is supposed to always do, which includes the baptizing, right? Now, does this mean that it, a baptism that is done by someone who 
has not been ordained doesn't work? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that when you have a man sent to your community to be your preacher slash public priest ritual prayerer slash father slash wise guy slash healer of souls, it's kind of strange to then not have him do that job and to have someone else do it. Now, I say this as a person who was baptized by a layman called but not ordained in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, my own father's hand under the supervision of of his ordained pastor at the time. And I consider my baptism to be entirely valid because it used the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and, and because it used water, right? So, I mean, it's not as though there isn't plenty of history in this little push and shove thing we got going on between why do the pastors have to be in charge and uh, why do the people have to complain, right? And kind of going both ways. Um, what is perhaps far more important at the present time, right, is that you recognize uh, that you do have the freedom to baptize as a Christian and that this is a freedom that should never be taken from you, especially as we are in times of crisis, wherein the potential for jailed pastors increases. It's happening in Canada right now, right? So you're like, oh, white noise, but it's happening in Canada right now. So so if you have pastors who are being jailed because of a anti-Christian regime of some kind, and you are still having children, then by all means, you want to baptize those children. I, I would also contest this, though. If you have a pastor who gets jailed and you have a congregation of men who remain, it really behooves them to make one of them the pastor. Just say, too bad, buddy. You're a Christian, right? We all know you're wise. You're called now. We all say you are, right? Because you want to have that leader recognized. You want to have that voice of the shepherd clearly going through one man who then, of course, you're discerning what he says based on scripture, but someone's got to open their mouth and say scripture says this. Uh, so in an age of potential jailed pastors, in an age of potential losing of resources, uh, then all the more is it important for you to know that you have the freedom to baptize, but that the value of the pastor is one you don't want to be without either, right? So pitting these things against each other is what stupid people do. <laughs> you know, people who would rather, you know, burn the house down before the enemy gets there. They argue about who gets to do what and, and bicker over power choices in largely concerns over who gets to to be in charge, right? And, and that's just, Jesus is in charge and his word reigns. And if we all are under his word, then it really doesn't matter anymore. Most of what he says, all of what he says is more than enough for the rest of the stuff that he doesn't talk about. So, so then yeah. the second part of the question is, and going along with that question, given Matthew 28, why can't women baptize? If it is for just a pastor to do, then that would answer that part. <laughs> Well, I don't know that I would say a woman cannot baptize. Um, the question is, why would a woman want to baptize? Like, at what point are you deciding this is important? Um, it's certainly not going to happen when you're allowing the publicly recognized voice to do the publicly recognized act for the sake and witness of all those concerned, both now and in the future. You know, secret baptisms in the hospital, the, the Catholic hospital by the nuns in the back corner are secret. No one knows about them. The whole point of baptism, you're supposed to know about it. And if you don't know about it, what good does it do you? Um, it's there to feed your faith as an act in history, not as a juju that, that you know, secretly brings you to God. Um, 
so so why do you want to baptize as as a woman um but like okay so like you're in the desert and you're pregnant and you're a woman and you give birth and you have a child and it's just you and you're both dying and you're a Christian and so you, you want to baptize the child. So yes, you spit in your hand and you baptize the child. But like theology by the extreme is the wrong way to do it. It's just the wrong way to think. Uh, th- that's how you come up with bad ideas is you make rules for every possible situation rather than understand the principles go across the rules and across the situations. And the principle is the baptism is the word of God sent by Jesus for his church. His church is not you or me. It is us as a whole locally gathered for the sake of that preaching and that the water washing which he instituted is the entryway into that community of faith and it is to be given to all, uh, to all nations, you know, even your children, it says in Acts chapter two. Uh, From there, who gives it? Well, um, the history is that those who come preaching tend to do the washing straight up. Um, if you happen to be a bunch of Christians in a Christian church without recognized clergy and you share the washing, like I'm not sure I can tell you it's wrong. I don't know that it's wise either to not have a chain on your clergy and force them to be recognized in some way. You know, the, the best way that power hides is at a, at a round table where no one knows who holds, who holds the microphone. That, that's, that's the best way to hide the evil. Yikes. Yikes, yikes. Who publicly exercises the word? We all do, though. This is just it. So uh, the, the pastor is to publicly exercise it for the congregation. The congregation is to publicly exercise it for the city. Uh, so nobody is just supposed to be the only talker. Yeah. And in that regard, I mean, if you're at a coffee shop and someone converts and wants to be baptized and begs you to, do it. <laughs> why, why would you not? <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Should we Next on? up. Yeah, why not? Okay. Luke says, Pastor Fisk, how do I become more zealous for the gospel? In a good way, I mean, sharing it with others, etc. After many years of treadmill Christianity, try hard, do more, etc., I came to a point where I really just stopped sharing faith because I was miserable. So I wasn't sure how to share it with others. Hey, Come be a Christian and be a miserable and be miserable and doubt constantly. But I found peace and assurance in Christ's forgiveness, yet haven't quite managed to get back that confidence or desire I used to have in sharing the gospel in my early years. Not that I'm actively hiding it, but I often don't take opportunities that arise to chat about it. This often leads back to doubt as I think, am I ashamed of the gospel? Any advice? I pray about this often. I pray for others too. My advice is pray the Psalms uh, specifically for you. Uh, get into the language of the Psalter as your prayers. And know that what you're experiencing, I think, is not uncommon to this generation. Uh, it may be uncommon in history. The amount of, of information overwhelm that we have saps our spirits tremendously and, and makes it so that it's hard to have hope when you have every bad story from the whole world at your doorstep every day, and the only kind of answer is somehow people converting to Jesus in droves to make you feel better, um, you're going to be up against it. You know, uh, Whereas the prayers of the Psalter, the prayer life of the Psalter, is one of victory in the midst of defeat, one of victory with small wins that are cosmically significant, while great battles are in fact unimportant, and you're able to laugh at those while standing again robed in scarlet, uh, certain of the future. 
But the more stories you're listening to that are not the single story that's true, the less you're going to believe the single story that's true. Uh, we're just not, we're not rocks, you know, uh, we're sponges and, and we get moved by things. And these, these duping machines, the brainwashing toys that we have, uh, they go behind the frontal cortex and they hit your sub reptilian cortex. They hit your soul yeah? and, and, and they mess with you. So you end up being cynical. You end up being a critic. Yeah? You end up being hopeless. Uh, even when you're th- around people who in theory believe in hope, I think my most deep, frustration with the Lutheranism that I see and am part of and actually have carried in my own heart is what a great kind of despair and critical cynicism uh, spirit we've had in our approach to everything. Everything is sort of like, well, of course it's going to go wrong. And oh, well, those and that and everything is, and this is why that's wrong. And it's not that any of it's untrue. Within the Missouri Synod clergy, Roger, you will find some of the most intelligent people, and they know truth backwards and forwards, but they don't know hope. And this is what's scary, right? It's where your question matters. There's there's just no hope. You lost hope. Why? What were you trying to find hope in? Uh, Who were you trying to share? Also, that's one of the questions. So, you know, if if you're out there sharing a Jesus who's only half true, and then Jesus, to preserve you from the success which would destroy your faith, doesn't let you actually convert anyone to your kind of misguided version of the gospel, um, well, this is a great blessing to you. Although it might lead you to think, you know, oh, what is God with me? Or, or like you said, I think yours is really, you said that really well, like you, you realize that you missed a chance or there was a chance of like, oh, I could have said, and then you didn't, and then it goes on, and you're like, oh, maybe I don't really believe, right? So what you're doing, again, is, is in the speed of this life, you're noticing how you cannot possibly take every opportunity that information throws your way and perfectly respond to it. And if held accountable, you're going to go to hell. I mean, this isn't really rocket science again. It's not new news. But you're, you're feeling that, right? You're feeling that. And so my antidote is remove the noise that oppresses you and fill it with noise that gives you confidence noise that is zeal right so the the psalter language is they are words of zeal and so people say, well i read it and i don't really feel it there it doesn't matter that it's not there because you already feel these things it's there so that after 15 years of praying it over and over again knowing it's yours in jesus it's going to change you you're going to feel what it says because it told you to not because you already have it inside of you right so uh, two weeks ago, I preached on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It came up in the text. And uh, the bit about if your eye is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And so the idea of having a dark eye versus a light eye, or in the Proverbs talks about having an evil eye. Um, that's been really important for my own kind of biblical processing of the message I've been putting out there for a while, which is, again, the white noise is too loud. It will overwhelm you. You can't possibly stay sane with all this information coming your way. It's certainly going to overwhelm your faith. Your eyes, then, are the window through which all this is coming your ears to, but but it is uh, imagery in your eyes. So the eyes of darkness, then, if you're looking at dark things, you think, well, it's not dark. It's a blue screen. It's shining. in. But what's, what's it telling you? Right? And you're like, well, I, I read the Bible on it. Yeah, and then, and then what do you do next on it? 
right? What else do you do on it that's not the Bible? And how are these things being mashed and treated as if it's one, one reality? Over time, the eye of darkness is going to bring you cynicism, criticalism, and despair. That, that is what it is going to do. So if you would like to feel better, right, you must not absorb so much evil through your eyeballs. You just have to turn some of that off. And then you must project good, not only from your eyeballs, that is you're going to see it and it's good, but then it's going to go into you and then come out of you again through your breath and your mouth, right? So now you're seeing good, you're projecting good, and then your ears are going to hear it. It's going to come back into you again. It's like a threefold spinning awesome physical reality. You're not a Gnostic. You're a human and you have a God and he wants you to pray to him and he's so powerful and awesome that even though you're completely evil, he wrote a prayer book for you that you can't fail when you pray it. You can't. I shouldn't say that. Did the Carthusians do it wrong? The Carthusians did it wrong. Is that the problem right now? Too many Carthusians? No, that's not the problem right now. Okay. So right now we're on the other side of that map. And what must happen is the Christian church are you in Rome? I don't care. East? I don't care. Pro- Wesley? I don't care. The Christian church has to start praying the Psalter again and generally reading the Bible again, right? Generally. But let's just consider the Psalter as an, a marvelous first step in the bigger picture of us all being biblically literate before everything burns to the ground around us. Goodness. Zeal. I, I, ask for it. Ask for it. And then don't expect it tomorrow. Expect zeal to be something like a muscle that over time you can build up. You can also rip it to shreds by using it poorly. You can also let it atrophy. Uh, So it's sort of what are you disciplining your heart with? And that will tell you what you're going to be zealous about, right? So if you want your heart to be zealous about Jesus, then you must discipline it with the truth of Jesus. And again, that means turning off some of the darkness, uh, which there's, it's just everywhere you look. You know, what are you going to do? Turn off, turn off, turn off. Yeah. We got one more? We do. Well, we have two more. Two more. So. Oh, that's right. Do you want to do, yeah, let's do, let's do F and then we'll go to the, okay. the one for you and take the rest of the show on it. F says, Pastor Fisk, in Psalm 121, oh, yeah. what does nor the moon by night mean? I don't see how moon could be a problem. Thank you. I love a. it. I love it. It's good. It's good. We're so modern here. So and if you hit that desktop, that and then, yeah, maybe move my picture. Uh, da, 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 121. And I don't know if that's KGV on the screen or if it's, or if it's ESV, but 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from once comes my help. Please know that this is the hills, the foothills of the mountain range that holds Jerusalem. So as you go to Jerusalem on pilgrimage from your Greek home after the diaspora, it's Passover, it's you know Christmas time for you, you're going for the big party, the big city, you lift up your eyes and you see the foothills in the distance knowing the temple is further that way and you know that's where your help comes from, from the God who is at that temple. So that's what that bit's about there. Uh, your help comes from the Lord, that's Jesus, yeah, who made heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, the language of Genesis 1 verse 1, primary categories of scripture, seen and unseen, another way to think about that. But this God who dwells, dwelt in Jerusalem, now Jesus dead, raised, ascended to the right hand of the Father, brings that Jerusalem to you in his flesh and blood, word and sacrament. That same God will not allow your foot to be moved. That's verse three. He who keeps you will not slumber, right? So, so election is the promise that your baptism stands and makes you whole. He will not let your foot be moved. You are in him. You are christened now, right? Um, and in that regard, he never goes to bed, even though you do. So even while you're sleeping, 
He's working for you. Right? Psalm 127 in a few moments will say, you know, you get up early, you go to bed late. It's all so that you can have more anxiety. Because while Christians sleep, God takes care of what they really need. And that's, that's 127. But continuing on here with uh, verse 4, we just did slumber sleep. Verse 5. Um, so I don't mm, yeah, there it is. Uh, verse 5, Jesus Christ is your keeper. Jesus Christ is your shade at your right hand. I love the idea that you know shadows are pretty close to you, even like underneath, and he's closer than that. He's going to keep you in all things. And then you have this verse 6, which is what the question's about. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. We'll come back to that. Two more verses. Jesus Christ shall preserve you from all evil. Just say it out loud over and over again to yourself, because it's true. It's a promise. He shall preserve you from all evil. It's, it's just tr- so good. He shall preserve your soul. Jesus Christ shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I like to think of that as venture and retreat. You know, go out, come in, and you, know, you, you go out, you come in. Well, that was an interesting sound. Did you hear that? Yeah, what was that? I have no idea what that was. Oh, it's you. It must have been that. You go out, you come in. Uh, Venture, retreat. So a venture, you know, you go out. (laughs) A retreat, you come in. But retreat has that language of like, I didn't really want to, right? And venture has that language of adventure, like I really want to. So what I like to remember at the end of this psalm, it is one of the sons of Solomon Psalms that we open in the morning with. Oh, no, it isn't, actually. I open the morning with this one. What I like to remember, again, is that wherever my feet go, whether I thought it was a good idea or afterwards thought it was a bad idea, nonetheless, the Lord has directed my steps. And so even if I find myself in a completely beaten retreat from everything I thought I ought to do, the Lord is still directing those steps and I can, I can take comfort in it. My, my wife is laughing, not at me. So that's, that's okay. I'm just distracted by her. I am making all sorts of crazy on your screen. So, woo, fun Why are TV. you doing that? Oh, just because I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> Should I wait to talk about the moon or should I talk about the moon now? No, you can talk about the moon. I have no camera on you, just so you know. Why? Because I clicked the X and I don't know how to get it back. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. Well, um, here. Is there a camera on you? No, there's no camera. We have the question. Oh, oh, it's really easy. It's really easy here. Yeah, yeah. This is pretty simple. This button right here. Okay. Perfect. Thanks. There is a camera. This is this is why I don't pay you. <laughs> so, you <know. laughs> so okay. So then the question is about verse six, wherein you're being told God's with you. He never sleeps, even though you do. He's closer than even the shadows around you, and then he's going to stop you from evil. The image of those things is that the sun strikes you, and then the moon implied strikes you. And the question is, like, why would I be afraid of the moon striking me? Well, it, it, it doesn't actually say strike. So you have to let the, the poetic parallel be there. The sun strikes you and the moon. Right? So, like, the implication is the moon is going to do something, but it's not the same thing the sun does. And it's not that hard to imagine what the sun striking you is, right? That's, that's pretty straight up. Like, you've, you've had a sunburn. Right? So to be one who labors in the sun, a redneck, as, as they say, or worse than that, a slave, uh, who who truly uh, <laughs> can't get your health going at all, don't need no yoga, because all you do is labor, right? Um, such a person, the sun is is rough. Uh, we, had, we had to have some work done on our roof unexpectedly recently. And, um, you know, the guy, midway through the day, the guy said, yeah, he took off his shirt and he put another one on. He said, I'll go through two of these before I'm done, you know, and because uh, and so, he just, the heat of the sun, right? What about the moon? Honestly, I think it's a modern question and it doesn't matter. Like 
the the point is that the starry heavens that God's in control of that seem to be not what they're supposed to be can't hurt you. Yeah? Uh, and remember that all the heavens that we see as stars, sun, moon, lights in the sky, these are tied biblically as heavens, uh, not earth, uh, to the unseen realm, right? to, the, to the angels and the demons and all this. So, this is to say then that the devil can't harm you, right? This is to say that the heavens are for you and not against you. This is to say that anything that is against you in any way will be removed in the life of the world to come and already is removed so far as you're getting to the life of the world to come. So the sun can't stop you from being raised from the dead and the moon can't stop you from being raised from the dead. Now, again, all that I say with utter conviction. The next thing I say with 99% conviction and I'm fully willing if you disagree at all to say, fine, you're right, okay? And that's that the moon makes people crazy. That's just it. The moon, it makes you crazy. Watch it. Start watching it. I've been doing it for a year and a half. People get crazy when it gets full. People get crazy when it's gone. People get crazy on the quarters. And they're all different. And it's really weird. And you know what? Watching the moon, it might just make you crazy. But then again, maybe it makes you realize everyone else is crazy and you're the only one that's sane. But that's the point. The moon doesn't matter anymore either. That's the text. Yeah. So, so whatever the moon can do to damage you, Whatever the moon is doing to make people go haywire at certain times by pulling the tides of the earth so that the little trigulia hair in your ears are going further and faster than they normally do and you're a little more energized because gravity is just pulling your head away from the planet. Like, like it's not going to impact you as a Christian ultimately. Like, it will. You're going to live through it. You're in, you're in the ark. The flood's happening always, okay? You know, you're, you're inside them and it's burning down always. Uh, but you're going to walk through the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and if not directly, it actually in this life, then certainly in the life to come. But you also have the promise that God's a savior in this life too. I mean, this is this is so important, right? Like, I think Lutherans have, have somehow gotten this idea that God doesn't save us, that he won't step in and act to fix things, uh, that he never answers prayers. Now, we, you, our, our prayers for healing lists betray this because we certainly rack up the prayer for healing list in, in the prayers of the church usually. But... Um, on the other side of it, when it comes to things like your finances, when it comes to things like the government, when it comes to things like your health, we are, we are very fast to go to the doctor and only secondarily going to go on the prayer list. Very few people are going to just go on the prayer list and not go to a doctor, right? And so uh, believing that nothing can harm you, uh, believing that even those things which might harm you will be turned for good is the key to walking with contentment in every moment of every day. That doesn't mean you don't seek good things and avoid evil things. It doesn't mean you don't ask for better things. You do. But maybe you realize you're not going to get better things if you don't ask for them. And then realize asking from your heart is not the same as asking from the Psalms and Proverbs. And that the Psalms and Proverbs say your heart's kind of dumb. It really is. Until it gets, well, born again. No, washed with the blood of Jesus, awakened by a spirit not your own. But this is not just an idea someone tells you and myth, bam, boom, it's all fixed. No, this is you knowing that to love Jesus is to be disciplined by him. To be disciplined by him is to love his words. To love his words is to read the Bible. And the Psalter is what he prayed when he prayed. So why would you ever not try? You know, um, so there you go. Uh, I think I think that hopefully summarizes it. The moon by night is going to be getting at the fact the moon is a, it's a hobbly gobbly goobly brings bad tidings and things, and then sometimes turns red and people get scared and it makes equinoxes and not equinoxes. It makes um, <sighs> eclipses happen, which if you ever see one of those are definitely eerie experiences. A great book called Privileged Planet uh, can make the argument that the only reason we can see anything outside of our solar system is because of the moon and the sun and their relationship to each other in shape and size. 
Yada, yada. I mean, you go on and on about the topic. Um, the moon's a crazy thing. It doesn't make you werewolves, but it does impact gravity a lot. And to think that has no impact on your brain and on your heart would be to think way highly of yourself. Um, and so from there, though, you can also know that because Christ is keeping the moon in you, this is first, you know, Psalm 121 again, he's directing your feet. So whatever the moon did to you that made you lose your temper or not or whatever, right? You don't blame the moon. You walk with the word of Jesus. And you also know that the self-control that the spirit of Jesus will enable you to have uh, is greater even than, say, moon and sun. So you can choose to be burned, you know, or you can choose not be burned, and you'll be fine because you'll be walking with Jesus the whole way. Yeehaw to that. I like that answer. I like that psalm. Mm. It's a good psalm. They're all good. Uh, so well, we, got, we got a question for you. I bring her on one week, and you all think the show's about her. It's crazy. What's up with that? Okay, so first of all, <laughs> did you lose it again? I, I, you're on a camera. You're in front of the camera. Yes. And but I can't not? get the desktop to go away. <laughs> so. So now, I believe it's this one. Oh, okay. And then, we're not. We're in desktop. We're here. I'm gonna pull this away. Yeah. Now why? Oh, and then we yeah, just need to put you in. Yeah, have to be there. You just stand there. Hi, everybody. All right. While you um, read the question, I'm going to move this camera back. Okay. Oh, let's not have everybody watch that camera. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The question is. Oh, look! It's to me. How fun says, good morning, Mrs. Fisk. I am a sinning and baptized stay-at-home Lutheran mother of three sinning and baptized stay-at-home Lutheran children, ages eight, seven, and four. I am not a perfect mother or mom, and my children are not perfect children. I am not deluded. But I absolutely hate it when people, family members, anyone say, they're fine now, but ugh, those teenage years. Teenagers are horrible. Well, my best friend, my sisters, and I were not horrible, so I know it can be done. Do you come across this unhelpful, pessimistic statement? How do I react without resorting to saying or doing things that I might regret? Thank you for your help. God bless you and your family. Homeschooling mom. All right. Well, that's pretty rotten. It's pretty rotten to have somebody label you. It's happened one. ever since. <laughs> First off, we read Baby Wise before we mm -hmm. had kids. Baby Wise is a book we cannot recommend wholeheartedly, but we can kind of like 80% say, yeah, it's, it's pretty spot on. Just don't, don't be a legalist about it and you'll be fine. If you let it control you, it'll tell you to be a legalist and that won't be good. But reading that book, the promise mm -hmm. of that book was you can have kids who behave, you can have kids who sleep, and people who say otherwise just didn't want to learn right. how to parent. And we, we both kind of bought into that idea. And so since Chloe was one or two, people have said, well, just wait. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, all, immediately, it was just wait. I, I'm st I mean, Chloe's got her her moments and i worry for sure time to time we all have our moments yeah i mean i'm a parent so why would i not imagine the worst case scenario yeah um but uh, take it from there yeah 
Well, it's it's interesting because I have been blessed with the ability to um, come across two psychologists, child psychologists, very recently through podcasts. Um, one is Sissy Goff, and the other is David Thomas. Um, they both are Christians, and they put out some books that you as a parent can read about raising your girls, and then another one about raising your boys. And... Um, the girls, I do not know the title of, but the boys is called Wild Things. It's by David Thomas and another, um, let me look, I have it right here, Stephen James. Um, and uh, so these, these two psychologists talk about the different phases that kids go through mm-hmm. and the different struggles that they psychologically are handling as their bodies mature in these stages. So, you know, the infant is going to be an explorer, whereas the um, the teenage boy, he's going to be the wanderer. Yeah. And yeah. the girl, they label the teenage girl as, um, or they, they title that phase of life as the narcissist. Um, and you can see it because mm-hmm. the wanderer, and boys, you know, they start to be assert their dominance or independence from mm-hmm. authority, and they recognize I am powerful, and I am, um, I do have a place in this world, mm-hmm. and it's going to be one of power someday. Mm-hmm. And they want it now because they feel like they yeah, know. Sure. sure, yeah. And so you see Young the wonder. Yep. Yeah. And then as a narcissist, for girls, you know, we start to recognize, wow, I'm coming into my body and I'm, I'm beautiful or I'm coming into my body really fast and I'm mm, uncomfortable. uncomfortable. I don't know what's going on. And yeah. I see it. I am looking in the mirror for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so everybody else must be looking in my mirror too. Just as closely and, and tightly. so we become yeah. extremely focused inward. It's like our belly button is our eyeball. <laughs> um, we're in Carvatis. And recognizing that we can love our kids even when they say things that hurt us like, oh, you're so lame. I wish you would just get out of my life. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, teenage years don't have to be hard. Honestly, they're some of my favorites. I don't, they don't have to be harder so, than any others. I think they all have to be hard, but they don't have to be right, horrible. Right. The terrible twos were never terrible. They were two. If you recognize what the child's going through at that phase, yeah. um, their their tantrums as a two-year-old are uh, coming from their need for boundaries. And so, yeah, if you let them create their own boundaries, they're going to flounder and they're going to flop and they're going to rage on the floor. Yeah. But if you say, love, you know, if you're lovingly curbing them, then they will, um, they will respond with security and, and it's going to be a beautiful response. That will bless you as a parent. Under grace, with forgiveness, mm. through time, one day at a time, and today always the goal of that day. And um, I, I still think I have a lot to learn from Meredith Parenting. We've been blessed to have her be able to stay home, so she has spent significantly more time at it than I have. I've always been involved in the theoretical side of it, and I definitely am home at the dinner table. and Absolutely. things. But like, um, I feel like over the course of these kids, you've really learned a lot and um, we started with knowing we didn't know enough and knowing Mm -hmm. we didn't like what we had and wanting to do differently 
And so we read. Yeah. <laughs> and when we still do. And and you do a lot. You know, I'm st- I'm reading Hebrew and, and you're reading yeah. these psychology books. So, I'm reading um Wild Thing, yeah, The Art right, of Nurturing right. Boys. Which is it just you have so <laughs> much to share here, um uh as a whole. Uh but overall then this idea that uh how do you guard your heart against the commentary that the lady has shared that she hears? Like what do, what do you say to others and what do you say to yourself when they say to you just wait till later and then x will happen yeah um well first of all i think about what it feels like to be told that i'm gonna be something Mm. so yeah um, right you know i don't want to be a crotchety old woman that really is not my goal in life um i don't want to be a humdrum middle age either you know i want to be me i want to be the person that god has created me to be and so uh, not being willing to accept that stereotypes and um just the typical grouping for others is going to be what you're going to experience from these special people god has created in your life that's okay it's okay to not accept that (laughs) And also, don't accept it for yourself, too, because you don't want to go into that phase of life with them just expecting it Mm -hmm. and then being like, oh, yeah, there you go. Um, Going into it with compassion for who they are and what they're dealing with. Well, what you've been able to show me is, is how each of the things that I think are just bad behavior are learning opportunities for good behavior and that saying no and angrily being this is right like that doesn't get through but that a little more patience can often get through and the kid because they have good reasons for what they're doing can be shown the good reason to to be different but it it really means listening first and i mean that was not my approach uh so you know you've taught me a lot there um well, you just said about not liking prescriptive prophecy from people. I'm with you on that. You know, someone mm-hmm. says, you know, well, this is what's going to happen to you. And it's like, you know, Jesus could come back today. So maybe not, <laughs> you know. And then from there, maybe have some hope again. Um, so I certainly, I, I'm the last person, you know this as well. I, 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 I try to carry every possible scenario. Mm-hmm. And I want the worst case as well as the best case. And I, I don't discount the worst case at all. But I'm going to make my decisions based on a belief in regeneration. Right, like and it's, it happens. Jesus, Jesus makes us different than the pagans. Like I believe that, and that's a, a an extremely firm foundation to build upon. Mm. That, and then the investment that you put into your child today is going to be the dividend that will return to you tomorrow. I mean, it's it's that simple. Like if you invest in your tiny person, yeah. when they're a less tiny person, it's going to come back. If you show them that you are there for them when they are tiny, then they will know you are there for them when you are big. Mm -hmm. Being there for them is not easy in a world filled with screens. So one thing I I just have to say to anyone who says, like, you can't do this, is like, well, have you tried it without screens yet? And if you're like, no, and I won't, well, then, like, I don't have time for your prophecy, basically. Yeah, so... If you teach the children when they're tiny that you don't have time for them. Correct. Then you're teaching them 
when they're older that they won't have time for you. Yeah, the cat's in the cradle. Silver um, spoon. Blah, blah, blah. So if we take if we take our children with us places, mm-hmm. if we do the hard thing. Oh, do you want to talk about that? Like all the times you're not allowed to take your kids places <laughs> as a pastor's wife? Well, my, my heart just <laughs> broke, and I don't know how many women's events I had to say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go, yeah. because I just was not allowed to be a mother in those scenarios, yeah. and it hurt. Yeah. Um, uh, but on the flip side, stepping outside of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and taking your child to that conference or that meeting right? and being like, yeah, you know what? You can sit and you can color or you can sit and you can play yeah. with paper dolls or you yeah, can yeah. sit and come up with something else or uh, creative. Whatever it is, right? Uh, you're going to go with me. You're, you're part of my life. This is what I'm doing today. And so you're going to come. Right. Um, they need that. They need to be appreciated and valued that way. People talk a lot about modern schooling being a tool for socialization. I, I contest it's a tool for desocialization and narcissism. Um, but true socialization is, in fact, when the child watches an adult interact with other adults and then begins to mimic that over time. And if you allow for that cross-generational habitation, it happens. You know, and you put them in a big herd with a bunch of other immature kids, and they figure out how to do bad stuff together. Yeah, I mean, it's our religion teaches us this again, but we just—it's like we checked out from believing it meant anything. God, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, going to supper at a restaurant, a nice restaurant—it's like, oh, well, it's a nice restaurant. Kids can't come. Well, you know what? If you start young, it's yeah. just like church. Yeah. If you yeah. start young. Don't wait till they're five to bring them to church. Right. Then they'll grow up going and seeing and wanting to mimic. Um, if you go to church with a bag of toys and tricks and entertainment for them, they're going to expect that from church. Yep. But if you go to church with a little snack so that they don't get hungry, and then the, the hymnal and the Bible, right. they're going to know that that's what you bring to church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember um, one of the kids at church, uh, kind of a new family at the time, uh, had a, he was, I guess he was about two, I think, maybe it was one at the time, but you know he kept trying to grab the hymnals. And oh, so yeah. I, I just took one, and I put his name in it, and I gave it to him. I said, bring it. Let him tear it to shreds. I don't care, right? Let him use it. Stop trying to take it away from him. Now, he wants the hymnal, right? Yeah. And, so, and that's, that's the part about um, the tiny phase. So two to four is labeled, or zero to four but you know two to four you can really see it because Mm. they're active and and moving around it's the explorer phase Mm. and if you can help them tactily explore the hymnal and i'm not saying i mean i never said yes rip pages out of this hymnal child but i did let them touch the pages and i did um straighten some pages after it had been crinkled but you you physically take their hand in yours and you point to each word that you are saying and sometimes this means you have to stay seated during a time when the rest of the congregation it means you don't get to participate in the way that maybe you used to Mm -hmm. with a certain level of soul involvement right that has to be spiritually directed at the kid instead of at praise right so you're exploring the sanctuary with them. Um, You're pointing from your pew to the altar and the, the candles as they're being lit and counting them. And then you're pointing to the cross and you're pointing to pastor and 
um, it, it's it's a very interactive time of life, right? And right. it can be very exciting. It it reminds me of the people who complain about there not being anything for the laity to do in the service. Uh, one of the complaints about liturgy is mm. there's not enough to do. All you do is listen to the pastor, kind of thing. And I mean, that's only if you're not listening. I mean, if you're listening, then there's plenty going on, and you're you're going to do a lot, right? And and what you have to say and look at is filled with symbolism to feed you and strengthen you. And so to to give that to your child, even when you know they're not going to, this is something that we've talked about before. It it seems to be just a blight on the way uh, modern American Christian women that I've seen in our churches talk about educating their kids. And it's like they have to understand everything every time. There's just no idea of like train. I mean, you take a kid out and you want him to run a mile. The first time, it's not going to be fast. He might even walk some of it. You do it the next day, he's going to get better. It's not about perfectly doing anything ever. It's about osmosis and um, compounding interest over time. And the kids, um, they really do grow and flourish in that kind of environment. We want to take them out of that environment, shove them in a factory, and tell them to memorize stuff, which there's a place for memorization. but Right. Uh, so... Uh, it looks oftentimes like our son is not paying attention. Yes. And that is hard. It's hard to <laughs> recognize, okay. Is he, it the dazed look or the finger <laughs> in the nose? Well, he just he just looks like he's totally checked out. Like he in service will not open his hymnal. It's so funny to me. And all the others. So this is the difference between boys and girls. The girls will sit prim with their hymnal open mm-hmm. and they're following along. I mean, as soon as they're strong enough to hold the hymnal, they're doing it. Yeah. Um, and the boy is climbing under the pew, diving over the pew, you know, waving at people. It's totally a different experience. And it's it's lovely. He's lost. He's just lost. No, but it's not. See, that's the thing. You come Uh, home, and he's heard a lot. And he's singing the hymns. He's memorized the hymn he heard. And it's like, how did you memorize that? You weren't even looking at the words. Well, his body's working differently than girls are. Yeah, yeah. And so, because he is interacting with his environment in a way that the girls don't. He's absorbing things through parts of his body that we aren't even capable of right, understanding. Right, right. No, no, this is, and there's a kinetic learning going on that is a very real thing for yeah. a lot of kids that put them in a desk or making them sit makes it harder for them to listen. So, so here's something that I hope continues to blossom here in Rockford and I hope it, it, other places as well. But I remember being told by a, a missionary who I knew uh, from Korea about how the Korean Reformed and then the Lutherans who are a lot like them uh, have this kind of free-range approach to kids at church. They don't have Sunday school. They don't have split-ups. And they they don't have pews necessarily, but sometimes they do. But they have a lot of chairs in a big room kind of thing. And the point is that people come in, they sit down, they put their kid on the floor, the kid's one or two, and the kid just goes. And before the kid does anything dangerous, someone else will just kind of move the kid a little bit, <laughs> change the direction. Whoever was there, you know, free-range kids. And he said the, the craziest thing is that right around six or seven, they're suddenly sitting still with their parents with their hymnals open, and no one really told them to. 
they just kind of crawl their way there over time. The main thing is you have to have an environment where and everybody sees this and is like cool with that kid coming up and pulling your leg for a second. You're like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, the hymnal. I'll point at it too. Yeah, and you know, you just move on. You know, how do you build that community? I mean, well, we've had ours destroyed, right? So we're right. trying to replant one, reseed one. Um, and, you know, the, the neat thing is the one kid who we have, you know, that was young and now we got another couple being born. But um, I told those parents right on, let the kid roam. He's the only one here. The grandma's behind you are going to love it when he comes up to him. And they did, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now, like, one of the young women has practically adopted him. So the new baby's here with the family, but they've got help every time from the ne- pew next door. And it's a great big village, right? It's really cool. Um, Absolutely. Yeah? So, yeah, so we invest in our tiny people so that when they're older, when they're teens, it's you have a relationship yeah. um, to put them on a shelf or put them in a handbag while they're small is going to make it so that you don't know who they are and you don't know how to communicate with them when they're older. And that's a lot of what the, um, the narcissistic and the wanderer phases need is not so much a wagging finger, mm-hmm. but a, tell me about this. Mm-hmm. You can trust me. Um, that's what our daughter comes to me with now. Yeah. It's like, mother, I'm struggling with this. And she knows that as she was going through the early junior high years, when her hormones were starting and she was kind of uh, thinking about boys differently, she knows that I wasn't going to laugh at her and I wasn't going to make fun of her or tease her about any right, of it. Right, 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 right. Um, and so now she can come to me and she can say, oh, I'm just struggling with this person at work or I'm struggling with this person on Discord mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know, that was something else interesting. We had a conversation on Friday morning. Nope, it was Thursday morning. Um, I noticed her face was just, she was crestfallen. She came into my bedroom. I was folding laundry and I said, Chloe, what's wrong? And she said, you know what? I just don't feel pretty today. No matter what Mm. I do, I put on makeup and I just feel like I look like a clown and I just want to take it off. And, um, and she had gone on social media looking for kind of that build me up Mm -hmm. moment. She's like, I tried to be real. And all I got was this feeling that I was being judged. Mm hmm. And it was it was a moment for me to teach her a about social media, right? And right. what you don't go to social yeah, media for. But all it is is judgment. <laughs> yeah. yeah like. And but at the same time, like if you really want to put yourself out there and just be that person who doesn't care, by all means, put it on social media mm-hmm. and don't look at the comments. Don't engage. So I could talk to her about that, but then I could also talk to her about you know what you live under grace, dear. You can put makeup on and you can take it off, mm-hmm. and. You can know that when Christ looks at you, you're beautiful no matter mm-hmm. what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is, yeah. is the one. So uh, we I'm have thinking. we have those beautiful moments now because we didn't we built them as a tiny as a tiny yeah. relationship. Yeah. 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 So again, the, the encouragement then is don't don't be arrogant and assume your kids won't have challenges. Um, but you can prepare yourself to see those challenges as opportunities. And in that way, uh, aim for trust the whole way. Um, believe that time spent is time invested. Uh, believe that entertainment is time wasted, especially when it comes to time with children. Um, they don't need to be entertained. Uh, they need to be 
um, understood, and they do love to hear stories. They love to hear stories. And so uh, you're telling them your stories uh, truly, like your own history as a person, as a parent. The time I did this and the time I did that. Oh, yeah. It, it makes you real. Yeah. It means a ton to them. It means it a does. ton. And um, again, I'm in my own kind of repentance of screendom. Um, this is a learning process for me. But uh, trying to, to mimic what I've seen from you and gain the trust so that I have had a few times now, again, where the kids are – I can see there's something wrong. I said, what do you want to talk about? It? And then they do, you know, mm-hmm. where that's new, really. Um, yeah. uh, before I was a little more air pastor, probably, than I realized. So, um, and so it's just, it's great to continue uh, learning and keep asking. And, but again, don't be arrogant, thinking nothing bad will happen, but be certain that in your baptism, it all will work for good. And then continue investing yourself in the resources of those who have modeled it well. Right now, I mean, it's easy for us to get on a video and say our kids are great. Right. I mean, uh, anybody can do that. Uh, Where will they be in 10 years? We don't know. And so every morning I continue to pray for my children, their faith, their spouses, um, as I have for a long time uh, with the Sons of Solomon prayers, uh, because it is up to the Lord to sustain us all. But because it is up to the Lord to sustain us all and because the promise is for a thousand generations, like, no, no one has the right to prophesy that, prophesy that your kids always fall away at a certain point. Like, that's, that, that, no, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. So. Parenting doesn't get easier ever. No, right. <laughs> like, well, you bring life. this tiny baby home from the hospital that did not come with an instruction manual and you're like, oh, okay, right. now what? Right, right. And it never changes. She hasn't grown an instruction manual yet. And we just have more of them. <laughs> and they're all different. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, parenting doesn't ever get easier. No. But God be praised, we all live under grace. And we have that forgiveness. We can go to the cr- cross and kneel before Christ and say, have mercy upon me. I messed up. It's, it's built. <laughs> it's also built. I mean, the grace is necessary. I completely concur. We're, we're second article Christians. We're third article Christians. We're regenerative of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus. There's something first article in this that y- you don't need redemption to see the beauty of this as well, that parenting is given to enhance your understanding of humanity as a mm. parent. It is, it is to break your bad edges off through showing you the results of them in real time a little bit. Um, and then also, though, if you can see that, you know, where were my bad edges, to truly say, not just, I'm not going to be like my mother, blah, 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 or whatever, but to then say, okay, here's this, here's this habit that my family has. I'm going to go find resources on breaking that habit, and I'm really going to put that into practice, right? So that, that's a different thing than just saying, I don't want to be like this person. I'm going to go watch movies about Cap and be like that instead. Like, that doesn't work. Uh, you're going to have to go really dig on what, what the actual struggles are in your life. That yeah. was something that won me over to trusting Sissy Goff before I looked into her books. Mm. Um, on the podcast, she mentioned, you know, we'll, we'll see troubles that our children are having and we'll go and seek out help for them. Mm. And in the process of finding help for them, we end up realizing, oh, right. it's my problem too. Right. And so we end up actually, if we're willing to be vulnerable in that way with ourselves, we actually end up helping ourselves yeah. Yeah. and then that kind of overflows into how we help our kiddos. Relationships are reciprocal and love, yeah. love is given as it's given, it strengthens, right? It doesn't do you any good to keep it, <laughs> right? Okay. So uh, it's not good for man to be alone. God made us to be with each other and all those things. But to yeah. go back to um, 
homeschooling mom's question, I mean, really, she the question is, how do I react without resorting to saying or doing things that I might regret? And that's tough because, honestly, uh, oftentimes I'll just smile. I'm That has been my response. Yeah. Um, and that's not always the right response, I recognize. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of, who is this person and what kind of a place do they have in your life? Like, is Correct. it worth your breath? To sit there and speak with them the the pearls of wisdom that you've been given by mm-hmm. our Lord. Are you going to just throw them to the homeless person on the street that you just happened to stop to help? Or, you know, are you going to reserve them for that, that friend who genuinely says mm-hmm. to you, it's going to be rough because that friend of yours is actually having a really rough time. Yeah, yeah. With her own yeah. or his own that team. That person knows. You know? And so it's kind of like do you have the time to set aside to figure out where did this person's comment come from? Cuz half the time we say things because it's what well, we Well, on the internet you're never going to know that either. So if you're talking about it on the internet, you're just not going to know where the comment came from. Absolutely. But if it's in my if it's at the grocery store, you know, is it a clerk that I go to all the time and I've developed a relationship? Is it my doctor? So like is, it, is the person going to listen to you? Is mm-hmm. so, are they listening to you or are they just already preaching to you? Right. And then if they are preaching to you and you disagree, um the, the thing that I'm kind of wrestling with myself, sowing, can I say that? The seed mm-hmm. I'm sowing recently yes, is a desire to be able to say something back, which they might consider rude, but which in the grand scheme of history, I know is not rude. And, uh, you know, judgment day, I'm okay with whatever said being there and where my heart is when I say it. And, uh, you know, for, so for something like this, um, it means again, praying that should it be something spontaneous or, or, um, uh, you know, public, like at the supermarket where they pull you aside and and they say, um, you know, wow, you sure got a handful there. Yeah. It's like, well, we're standing in the blood of all the others we've aborted and I didn't mm-hmm. want to abort mine. Uh, I hope we repent before everything burns. Jesus is risen. Have a nice day. They might stand there stupefied for a while and that that's okay. Um, in fact, I think I think stupefying them is what we want to do. We want them to be just confused by us because they're so wrong that the truth will confuse them. And it is as simple as that, right? Oh, yeah. you think there's too many. Well, I didn't want to abort them. You know, is in, 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 that's not the only reason we have them. And that may not be the right answer. But what I'm praying for is the conviction to not care if they're bothered by my answer. Right. That's, that's what I want more and more. Right. Um, you know. Yeah, but the, the, so if I'm at a, at a backyard party, a barbecue or something, <laughs> You know, I have the time to yeah. actually invest in the person who made that comment. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, well, you know, tell me your story. Yeah. And then it's not about you. It's not about your kids. It's really about them. them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You, that's, and that's a page out of Talk Them Into It. Um, uh, my book, Talk Them Into It. You get it for free. If you sign up for Mad Christian Monday's newsletter, com slash newsletter, um, take the position of the disciple and you are the master because mm-hmm. you get to control the questions and you can lead with very perceptive questions uh, someone who otherwise refuses to listen. So so we have one question that's came, come up through just the comments, and mm. it is kind of interesting. I'm wondering if we can take a minute. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're kind of pushing it's, over time, but um, no reason not to do one more. Are there any good movies out there for 10-year-olds? 
And I just recently ran across a list in this book by oh, David that's right. Thomas. That's right. That's it's right. kind of uh, funny. No one's going to like this answer, though. I know, I, so, but I love it. I love it because, A, it's in print. And, B, we didn't write that. Yeah, you sure. You know, yeah. it's somebody else. Yeah. So um, these are the. this is precisely the list of movies for young boys. Um, eight, let's see. Okay, so th- these movies come from author... David Thomas. David Thomas is highly recommended movies for 10-year-old boys. Here we go. Um, the Adventures of Robin Hood, 1938. Only that one. Stagecoach, 1939. There you go. The Wizard of Oz, 1939. Mm, I've seen that one. Old Yeller, 1957. Sad. Miracle on 34th Street, 1947. I was kind of like, eh, uh, we could skip over that one. The Ten Commandments, 1956. Amen. Where the Red Fern Grows, 1974. Better book. Read the book. Yeah, my son was like, oh, can I watch that? I loved the book. Mm. And for him to say that, that's kind of The movie was not very good. I remember watching it in grade school after they read the book to us. And it was like, but the book was, that was, I was too young to realize the medium just couldn't convey what the book conveyed. And, but it just ruined. Yeah. Yeah. And then you keep going and it's kind of, the the list kind of gets, well, The Lion King, 1994. Mm. Babe, 1995. I've heard great things about Babe. I've never seen that movie. I Yeah, in the book. Tim Ferriss wrote his entire Tools to Titans while watching Babe. That's apparently. really interesting. It, it is over and over again on a loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that Late, at night, late at night. Late at night. I used to follow him avidly. Yeah, so I know. <laughs> I know all these things. Um, the Iron Giant. I don't know that movie. It's a cartoon about a young boy who finds a big robot. Okay. It's a Wonderful Life. I thought that was good. I I'm not sure if I like that one now. I think something about that one is captures everything that's wrong with American Christianity. Hmm. But we'll, let's leave that for another time, and we can debate. That's just my opinion for sure. Um, E.T. Well, it's gross. And I sad don't really and like space. I don't so know. I'm yeah, you don't biased. like space. That's true. Yeah. So. Well, I was telling the kids the other day. They were like, "Mother, did you ever watch Jaws?" And I was like, "Yes, I did." And do you know, I'm afraid of the ocean. <laughs> And then I thought about it and I was like, yeah. okay, I yeah. grew up with Jaws and the Bubble Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're afraid of all that stuff then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, terrors, terrors on every side. And then The Princess Bride, last one. It's a pretty decent movie. Um, can I say, I don't recommend movies at this point, uh, especially for young kids. Uh, if you have to watch movies because you have to be part of American society... That's great, and those ones listed are fine. And frankly, at a certain point, Captain America is great because he's a hero and he wants good things. But here's what I have come to believe about these things right now in history. It's, I forget 1955. I don't know what was going on in 1955. Right now in history, these things are under the, the, the guile of a zeitgeist that is able to give you one thing with one hand, take away with another, and then slip something in the back door over the course of a lifetime through these machines, through the lies that you expose yourself to and the notification reality you cannot escape from once you enter them. And so your task is to teach your family how not to be deceived by these things. And to some extent, that means treating them like they're dangerous, like alcohol, right? Like how much alcohol do you give your kids? You know, I mean, it's, it's not so different. Um, or that's what I'm coming to believe. And as we attempt to detether somewhat in a family, the extreme resistance that the flesh puts up to this fight it tells you a lot <laughs> it tells you a lot about where the worship is yeah, so it's, and it is it's a pretty intense 
um, realization, like, I can't watch a movie. How am I ever going to relax? You've never relaxed watching a movie is what I can say. I used to watch lots of movies to relax and they don't relax you. And That's, the kids, it's when a lie. you first came out yourself. with your ideas of, you know, what? Oh, man, they hated I think it. the movie thing, I think we need to rethink that. Um, they were like, we were saying you can't breathe anymore. Yeah. So pretty upset about it. Yeah. And now we just recently, so you went to a conference mm-hmm. and we had permission to watch Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And so we did. And yeah. the kids, we sat down. We're all in front of the mo- the television. We turn it on. And the kids are like, oh, it's so bright. Turn it down. <laughs> Get it. Put it out. Oh. And then, so we turn it all the way down so that yeah. our eyes can handle yeah, yeah. it. And we couldn't see, see anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. And then the eight-year-old goes to bed after watching this Pride and Prejudice. It's the Kira Knightley one from 2005. And um, she's like, Mother, you know, I just don't, I don't like how I feel after I watch a movie. It's like I'm really, really tired, but yet I can't fall asleep and I feel like running around the house. So the stimulation Sounds about right. and yeah. the stress of the adrenal glands, yep. it's a real thing yep. you, when you pull away. You emotionally live it. It is, is as if you lived it physiologically with the exception of you don't get the benefits of any of the living of it, right? You don't, you don't get stronger. <laughs> yeah. You just get the um, uh, lymph node system drain that comes from the stress of whatever happened. Oh, yeah. Like every time yeah. Darcy and Elizabeth had an issue, like my heart started a race. I was, I was having yeah. emotional yeah. stress. Yeah. And the reason people don't people. notice, I would suggest the reason you don't notice this regularly is just you're desensitized to it. That especially if you're raised on this stuff, you long ago overcame the awareness of anything different than the way you feel. And to feel differently is going to take time. So that's where, I mean, it's, it's not the gospel. You know, don't, don't put this on, on par with what I say about Jesus. But um, I, as far as my, my walk with the Lord goes, I mean, yeah, it, it is for me a repentance from idolatry. And it's been nothing but helpful so far. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those scenarios where it's like no judgment coming Look, from me to you. We live you, in such a crazy world right but now. But this is yeah. what I've found, yeah. and I'm amazed. Yeah, there's freedom here. Amazed. There's so freedom. it's kind of like, oh, I challenge you. Yep. I challenge you to try it and just make your own, make well, your own judgments. Let me say this too. So, so the whole detethering project for us has been a project of small steps, trials, errors, restarts, tries again, just knowing that it was too much and we wanted less. And the less we find, the more we kind of apply a minimalistic attitude to these things specifically, but also to a lot of things, mm-hmm. but not to the Bible, uh, the more we're just glad with what we have. And right now today's great. And tomorrow they might kill us, but tomorrow we might starve, but tomorrow might all be fine. And Jesus is coming back. So, so on we speaking go. of untethering, like you went to this conference last week. How did you get there without a GPS? It was not easy. <laughs> I used paper and a pen and had to ask directions, oh. which for me, you know. <laughs> I mean, I actually I, I went into a store and talked to two different people. I wow. saw someone cleaning a window outside. I'm like, I'll stop there. She's a high school girl. She can't be too dangerous, right? <laughs> My shy factor, right? And so, and I scared the death out of this kid. I'm like, can you tell me how to get to Racine? And she's like, <laughs> she just stared at me. Did she actually know or did she pull out her phone? Well, then I realized, I, th- I thought, okay, she's, maybe she said maybe someone inside. She basically got scared. And so I went inside and I asked the girl at the counter. And I was halfway through it and I went, oh, 
wait a minute. I'm asking for directions. I'm trying to stop it. Do you have a phone and can I look at your maps? I had a phone and maps in my hand immediately. There's a phone with maps wherever you want, wherever you go. You just have to ask. It's quite incredible. So that's what I learned on the trip. I did also realize it's tough to get in touch with friends via text when you don't have your phone. <laughs> and, but that was on purpose too, and I kind of enjoyed it. I, I definitely, um, I don't know, you know, you know, I shared with you, my engagement at, at these events is less social butterfly than it used to be. And so mm-hmm. trying to figure out my place in, in that world is, um, is its own challenge. I'm going to say goodbye to Ryan before he goes. Bye, Ryan! Uh, we should probably just end up the show. This is, it, we'll go ahead and end the show and try to catch our one viewer that came and watched live. You're always welcome, at least until we shut this down for the fall um, here in Rockford. Because you're also welcome to move here, live here, go to St. Paul, become of our future community of walking, what, uh, local network supporting Christian living. We want to survive the apocalypse and we'll just be friends and neighbors. Um, plan, uh, Mad Christian Monday, as I mentioned, Patreon is the way the world goes around for us here in terms of finances. So please consider finding me on Patreon. Link is below. Uh, what else do we got? The Mad Christian Discord, Us the Chill is a great place to get involved. You can find about that at Mad Christian Mondays. Briefest Your Power, a podcast with Dr. Kuntz of Fort Wayne Seminary. Find that on iTunes. That'll put you in the context for how do we make good decisions about our place in history without being duped by fake history. Absolutely the place to go. Briefest Your Power, two white guys. I think that's all my pitches I need to do. I did them all in a moment. It probably wasn't even very good, but that's okay. It's the last Saturday in July in 2025. (laughs) For reals. So he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. The water seals it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity. This has been the Saturday Morning Chill from Mad Christianity with Jonathan and Meredith. So why don't you join us in believing that he has risen from the dead so that you no longer need to wallow in the muck with those who have no hope but can lift up your head all the more as you see that great day approaching. Rock on and hallelujah. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?